The Bucks got all the right steps in Charleston. They now can try their slipper and see if it fits at the big ball. These Tennessee State Buccaneers, they're dancing, boys. Fighter Perea lays it up. 1.4. Perea hits it. The pass is caught. Ready for the game winner. Wide left. Bucks win. Nothing spotting for three. The place is going to erupt. Oh, Deuce Bellow, he's going to make Sports Center with an incredible Jarvis Jones, the game winner got it. Ball game, East Tennessee State's going to leave on another. They got him. If he catches it, it's over. Ball game. Touchdown, Jawan Stinson. 25 yards. J.J. German for the win. He got it. J.J. German and the Bucks have shocked the Bulldogs. And the sidekick. Say hello to my little friend. What's your name, man? You're handsome, you have the perfect amount of scruff, and you still have no talent. It's Sandos and the Sidekick on the Buccaneers Sports Network. Good Wednesday, Jay Sandos, Mike Gallagher, a lot to talk about as we get you set for all the action. Southern Conference Basketball Tournament starting with the women on Thursday. Roughly 535. Tip time for them. The men Saturday. First action high noon. And we'll have all the exciting action here on the Buccaneer Sports Network. Not on San Sidekick, but still on the Buccaneer Sports Network. You can tune in and listen to all the exciting action. For today, it is all tournament talk except for one which is a pros versus Jays, and I'm not real sure what we're doing It's there. still kind of tournament talk because okay. it features someone that in the past has been heavily involved in some of the big moments in the NCAA tournament. So there okay. is a tie-in. I won't tell you who it is, but I'll let people's minds wander. Kind of more in the past than current, but one of the most uh, electrifying s- men. It's kind of when it's Jimmy Nance. In sports and, broadcasting me, today. No, me not and Jim are going to do the That's dueling. That's not it. No. Is it is You're it me versus the singing of One Shiny Moment? It is not. Ah, Although if you want to sing One Shiny Moment on not. the show, I believe that people no. would like to hear it. No, no, they would not. One day. All right, so what we're going to talk about, uh, what are we talking about? We're going to talk all conference uh, men's and women's. We're going to break down thoroughly men's and women's. But first we have comments. Head coach Stephen Lowell Forbes. We have tremendous senior leadership. You know, and I wrote these words down the other day. Just one word if you could define one of these seniors tisdale fierce rodriguez a motor boyd unafraid hugely a leader and gasson steady you know those guys and they all bring a different piece to our team and i know they're excited and i'm happy for them from the etsu radio coaches show on monday night at wild wing cafe 71 wilson avenue in downtown johnson city six to seven every monday night though keep in mind that this coming monday etsu men's basketball hopefully is in the Southern Conference Tournament Final. Is that on ESPN2 this year? No. Big boy. Flagship. ESPN. Great. Flagship. Hopefully that'll be the case. And in that case, and even if that is not the case, uh, the coaches show, should the Bucs win on that Monday in the Tournament Final, be on Tuesday night, 6-7 to at Wild Wing Cafe. Should there not be a victory and we have to sit in limbo purgatory for about another week or so to find out what Selection Sunday holds, no coaches show and the coaches show that we have loved and adored so much for the last six months, gone until September. I think that's the song, gone until September. Anyway, point being, Steve Forbes, about his seniors, such a special class. Where do you think this class ranks amongst those that have come through in the Steve Forbes era? And you can rank it however you want, productivity. In terms of being good dudes, I think that it's right there at the top of the list. So it seems every time I've been around him, how Coach Forbes talks, you've been around him. Um, So any ranking you want, but uh, certainly we can see on the court it has been ultra productive. It has. It's it's always hard to do because his classes are 
untraditional. You know, when you look at a lot of other classes, a lot of guys been together four years. But, again, you look at that class, and you don't have a four-year guy, right? I mean, you've got like a year and a half in Lucas Gasson. you got a couple years with some uh, JUCOs. you got a one-year guy. So it, it's always tough with Coach Forbes because they're not sort of traditional classes. Certainly been fun to cover, not just from an on-the-court, but dealing with a lot of the guys off the court, uh, I think is certainly uh, factors in for me uh, just because I have so much access, as as you know, uh, to those players. But I, it, it's interesting. I, I mean, on the floor, they're still behind, obviously, the, the, the team that went to the NCAA tournament and played Florida. Was that 16-17, I think? Um, and that was a little bit of a different team, too, because, you know, T.J. Cromer, um, two-year guy junior college, Tevin Glass, actually, him and Hunter Mosquera Perea sat out a year and then played. So that was kind of interesting because they were, again, there two years, but they only played one. So then you've got A.J. Merriweather, who was a favorite of everybody, played four years. So it's just – it's interesting. They got a shot to be the most accomplished single-season class of all time, no matter who got them. But um, I don't know. I, 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 they're definitely – Definitely top two uh, because I did enjoy sort of that that Cromer, Perea, Glass group. Glass uh, was, a, you know, AJ's obviously a good dude. So it's tough to say. It's top two, if not the best. On and off the court, very solid people, individuals. Of course, timely to talk about that because it is the Southern Conference postseason coming up. This is their last go-around in the Southern Conference. Now, what holds after that, we do not know yet. I want to listen to that one more time and hear the words that Coach Forbes We said. have tremendous senior leadership. You know, and I wrote these words down the other day. Just one word, if you could define one of these seniors. Tisdale, fierce. Rodriguez, a motor. Boyd, unafraid. Hugley, a leader. And Gassant, steady. You know, those guys, and they all bring a different piece to our team. And I know they're excited, and I'm happy for them. Those words right for you. Tisdale, fierce. Jeremy Rodriguez, motor. Trey Boyd, unafraid. Joe Hugley, leader. Lucas Gassant, steady. And steady certainly has been Lucas Gusson. I think, what, 13 of the last 14 now he's been in double figures. Isaiah Tisdale, just such a dynamic defensive player. Jeremy Rodriguez, a motor when he can be on the court. Trey Boyd, not afraid. He'll take any shot. And Joe Hughley, just the quiet, strong, uh, very intelligent teammate that is there for you. I'd say he's hit it pretty much on the head. Yeah, I, I don't have an, an argument. I, I mean, a couple of them, I think, well, all of them, I think, are solid. But, I mean, Fierce for Tisdale is about as good as words you can come up with. I think for Rodriguez Motors, probably, uh, you know, the energy that he – not even on the floor, right? He's, he's talking about everything. <laughs> yeah. um, being a great teammate off the floor, always yelling, encouraging, up on the – you know, always going hard as he can at everything. I, I think the unafraid was classic. Like, that would be the one if you told me right now, like, come up with a word for the team, for each guy. I, w- I You know, I probably didn't come up with everything – that they did, but probably coming up with the right word for Boyd would have taken me longer than probably the other four. But I, I thought it was solid, and and if you kind of close your eyes while you're listening, you could see all of that. You have to do all that before you get there. So starting tomorrow, VMI played all zone two games, and then the last time we just played Sanford, they played zone pretty much the entire game. So we'll probably work a lot against zone, do personnel for both teams, uh, coach. Savage has Sanford, Coach Mackey has VMI. Now, we're all going to be out of state tomorrow recruiting. I'm going to Baltimore, and um, Brooks is going to Dallas, and B.J. Flynn to Shreveport tonight. 
We'll be out and about for a day. And then uh, back Wednesday. I'll be back Wednesday. We'll all be back Wednesday to start practice. Yeah, so remember that was Monday, so everyone is back now. Practice starting today as we're recording this. It's about 3 o'clock, so it should be just about getting underway. And that was just Coach Forbes talking about the preparation for two different teams. It is a unique situation that ETSU is in. Now, it's a good situation in the Southern Conference because it means when you're preparing for two different teams, not knowing who you're going to play, that means you're the one or the two seed. Good problem to have. Don't have to play the extra game. Rather, get to sit back, see what happens. And that team that does advance, likely going to be a bit more gas, a little sore the next morning as opposed to you're just kicking your feet up and enjoying the fruits of your labor that you have ended up as a top two seed. But it can create some interesting difficulties. Now, seems like Coach Forbes and his staff have it worked out and they have been in this situation before in having that buy. Yeah, and, you know, it seems like for whatever reason, men's basketball gets in some sort of last game of the day, you know, sort of that 3-6 game. They, they've done that a lot more in Coach Forbes' era than the two or the one. So I don't know what's better because playing last game of the day, I think, stinks when you sit there for, for four games and you're always in sort of that nightcap. In the same token, when you're the one or two, you do have to kind of play a weird waiting game and figure out, you know, who are you going to play. Obviously, Coach talked about preparation. And the one thing about a conference tournament, right, you've played everybody twice. Unless there's a major, not even injury, but that does change things. But if somebody's coming back, let's say somebody, uh, you played a couple teams earlier this season, they were missing a big gun, now the gun's back. I could see where that could be an issue. But Sanford and VMI, at least in this scenario, really hasn't had to deal with that all the key pieces they've played them before they keep and now honestly if they played carlos dotson i think they played everybody in the league that's that's had at least their pieces in place and maybe they played without gibson and dotson the first game and now nobody's playing with gibson for west carolina because unfortunately he had that horrific knee injury but i i think the 12 o'clock you know kind of get I, I don't know that he really wants to play at 12 i think he'd rather play a little later just let guys sleep in but the advantage is you play at 12, you you have the most rest going into 4 o'clock. That's the advantage of the one seed, or that's how most tournaments try to do it. But I think Hayes in the barn. I think, you know, is it Sanford, is it VMI? They've already got the scouts. It's just a matter of, okay, do we remind the guys late that night, first thing in the morning, uh, what we're going to do? And the truth is they're working on a little bit of both probably over the next couple of days. Hey, if we got Sanford, we're going to do this. If we got VMI, we're going to do this and work a little bit of both. And the truth is it also, I think, is an advantage because you do get one or two days where you just get to worry about you. Like right now, if you're Mercer, West Carolina, right, you're working on Mercer and West Carolina. Right now, you may have a couple of days where it's like, you know what, no matter who we play, let's work on some defensive things. And we know when ETSU's been allowed to spend a couple of days on themselves, it's always been very advantageous, and they seem to respond to that. And I'm hoping that's the case the next day or two before they play. Most recently, 2017-18 postseason, where the two seed got the bye to face uh, Chattanooga. So you're having to prepare for the 7-10 matchup, and it was 77-59. to ETSU won by 18. Yes, I would say that uh, there'll be a few new wrinkles to the game plan. One thing about taught me a lot about that was coaching in junior college in Northwest Florida. We played in league play. I probably never told you. We played everybody three times in league play. And then you played them a fourth time in the region tournament. If you didn't have something new by then, you were not being very smart about it. So, Ben, this will be the third time, especially Sanford and uh, VMI. We kind of just played recently. And then, you know, either Western or Mercer. So, yeah, we'll have a couple new wrinkles in there. 
Got to he wouldn't tell me. I was going to say, got to talk about Juco a couple of times on the coach's show on Monday from driving a station wagon in southwest Iowa in his early days to down in northwest Florida, obviously much more recent and one of the uh, prime programs really in the country, northwest Florida, uh, at the Juco level and having to face teams three times, four times in a year. I think that's kind of the advantage of even recently Coach Forbes having that kind of experience, knowing from experience that you can't just go in with exactly what you've been doing because odds are they're watching tape too. And I'm wondering if you have an inclination of what those wrinkles may be. You may not know 100% and have the inside info, and even if you did, I wouldn't expect you to release it here on Santos and the Sidekick. But do you think that those wrinkles will involve any one particular thing or any idea where that may go? I, I think it's a lot like football. Like, I've talked to Coach Sanders about this a lot, and, of course, he always makes fun of me because when I ask him, he's like, well, let's go. Well, they call me coach, you know, because I come up with that. But you'll see a similar play two, three times for two, three straight games. And then about game five, that same look, they don't do that. They, whether it's a play action or they just have a play variation off of that, I think it's the same thing. I think it's the a job that ETSU kind of prides themselves on. Like, they'll even call a play out that they know a team has scouted. And most teams do. This isn't specific to ETSU, but then they'll run a variation of it. So, you know, this is what we ran against them last time. It's what it's going to look like. And then after a couple of times of showing that, then the wrinkle comes into play. So uh, I think it's more that I don't think it's, you know, unless they just feel like going back and looking at tape that they should have just gone a whole different direction for something, then I think it's going to be for the common fan, probably even me in that category. You know, it'll be subtle, but it'll be very big as far as what they're trying to do or force the defense into thinking they're going to do. Breaking. Just into the news desk. Southern Conference. All men's team. First, second, third freshman. There's no defensive team on the men's side, right? That's just the women's side? Yeah. Okay, so no defensive team. But there is a defensive player of the year, player of the year, freshman of the year, coach of the year. And at the top, coaches voted player of the year, Isaiah Miller. He sweeps both media as well. Freshman of the year, Travis Evie gets a share in the coaches. Uh, on the media side, he wins it all by himself. Keyshawn Langley of UNCG, one of the Langley twins or brothers? Twins. They're twins. twins. And Kobe, I believe, has been injured for the better part of the year. He's really the only one that UNCG like, missed. Yeah, yeah he came back and then got hurt again at VMI, so he's just had a rough go. Defensive player of the year, Isaiah Miller. I think that there's another Isaiah in blue and gold that could maybe have a qualm or two, considering he basically won three games on his own on the defensive end. I shouldn't say on his own. Obviously, it takes five, and there are others that go into um, a defensive stop and such. But you can point to Isaiah Tisdale for ETSU and say there's a lot of wins that you can – point right to him on a last possession on a final two or three possession basis where he got the Bucks W's but Isaiah Miller does come with the pedigree he does come with the acclaim he wins defensive player of the year from the coaches there was no uh, defensive player of the year from the media side and the coach of the year congratulations head coach Steve Forbes he has done it on both the coach and media side <laughs> let's get at it and he did get at it with the Bucks for the Southern Conference regular season championship any reaction from that it's hard I think really to argue with any of that although I will argue in favor of maybe not only Isaiah Tisdale but Bo Hodges is a heck of a defender himself the one thing I would say in defense of the Bucks, is that Tisdale and Hodges guard multiple positions now the difference is Isaiah Miller they it's just a different style of defense right he's the top of that press creates havoc um, how quick he is he's 
top 10 in the nation in steals, if I'm not mistaken. So the numbers are there for certain things like that. It's it's the one thing I used to argue about with Justin Toyo anyone. I think Justin Toyo is an unbelievable defender, but he led the league in block shots, and I, I've talked to multiple people about that. If you lead the league in block shots or you lead the league in steals, that's a pretty good chance you're going to win the defense player of the year. That it's hard to factor in for a lot of people what do you do defensively? Because if you don't have a lot of steals or you don't have blocks. Now, there was the one year as a Kiwa dude, 03 04, where he had um, 92 steals and 70 block shots. And then he ran away with not just the defensive, but the player of the year because of some gaudy numbers because he did them both. Now, if you got a guy that does them both, if Miller had like, you know, 30 block shots or 40 block shots with the steals, to me, it's a no brainer. I just think it's tough for Hodges and Tisdale and any other player, and it's easy just because we talk ETSU, but there's other players out there that will guard the other team's best player regardless of position, and I think that's one thing that doesn't really get factored in. That being said, you know I'm an Isaiah Miller fan and think he he does so many good things uh, that it, it's – I'm not going to sit here and go, what a terrible pick Isaiah Miller. I, I have no issues with him winning player of the year. I just think it's tougher for – Tisdale or for Bo Hodges to win player of the year because of them guarding different positions and that being just a separate entity as opposed to just going off off steals or anything else. But again, Miller does create a lot of havoc defensively. Yeah, no problem with him winning it. Uh, just obviously being a little bit biased towards the blue and gold. Seeing up close what Isaiah Tisdale and Bo Hodges do every game. Obviously, we're going to come out on one side of the argument. All freshman team, let's just get to that. The same on both sides. Fletcher will be from the Citadel. Kamar Robertson of Mercer, Keyshawn Langley of UNCG, Travis Evie of VMI, Messiah Jones of Wofford. Typically, there's not that many players up for a freshman team, so it's True. not that and out of the norm. Very rare do you have like, oh, man, this, this guy should have been in. Very rare. The five that were chosen to me were the five I voted for. It was no-brainers. First, second, third team. I'll let you go ahead and dive into those. There are some discrepancies from team to team. Overall, though, is it all 15 the same? Am I counting that right? Or is it? Is there one that is? Uh, I think it's all fifteen the same. I have to go. Uh, you, yes, yes, it is. Um, which is rare. That is rare. That, it's rare. That the odd thing is, is that there's two different. I think on the first team, and they're two different on the second team, and two different on third. Is it two two two, or am I miscounting? Or is it three? Is it two three two? Is it a zone defense? What are we doing here? I believe it's. Three or two, two, three, two, two, two. I think it might be two, two, two. Let me go ahead and look while you're talking. You do that. All right. So I've always enjoyed this to see what the coaches and the media value. Let's go with coaches. They coach against. They see tape. I do put a little more stock sometimes into coaches. Although I do think coaches can be biased because they may not particularly like a player, like T.J. Cromer for an example, and he didn't win Player of the Year because people just didn't like his attitude. He was clearly the Player of the Year. But Bo Hodges. ETSU, Jordan Lyons, Furman, Isaiah Miller, UNCG, and then two Western Carolina Cats. See what I did there? Carlos Dotson and Mason Faulkner are first team for the coaches. Now, first team for the media. No Bo Hodges, but a Trey Boyd. Jordan Lyons on both. Isaiah Miller on both. Carlos Dotson on both. No Mason Faulkner, but a Georgie Dimitrievich for Mercer. Interesting there that the media put to me, Dimitrievich, instead of Faulkner or even Bo Hodges. Now, second team coaches, Trey Boyd, Dimitrievich, Ethan Stare of Mercer, Matt Ryan of Chattanooga, Nathan Hoover of Wofford. Second team for the media, Bo Hodges, ETSU, Ethan Stare, Mercer, Josh Sharkey, Sanford, 
Matt Ryan, Chattanooga. Mason Faulkner, Western Carolina. Again, it's just interesting to see what they value where Sharkey on the media moves up to the two slot. And then on the other side, and I guess Bo Hodges down to the two slot. And then you look at the other side where Dimitrievich is on the second team. And then you have Trey Boyd on the second team as opposed to the media or the first team. We're stupid because there's five players on a team, so it couldn't be 2-2-2 because two, 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 that would be six. And then everything would be completely jumbled. Mm. There would be an extra spot that we wouldn't fill or would fill or something. Anyway, it's two, two, and then one is different on the third team. Josh uh, Sharkey, third team in the I'm coaches, second team in the media. That's fine. Now, the third one, uh, the first uh, – oh, actually, four are the same, right? Noah Gur- – yes, you're right. Noah, right. Gur- uh, Noah Gurley, Furman, Clay Mounts, Furman, James Dickey, UNCG, Ramon Vila of Chattanooga. Sharkey's on the third team for the coaches, and Hoover's on the third team media – uh, so you look at that now. Again, I think the 15 players were tough to beat. Those are all the, those are the 15 guys I voted for. So they're in there. And I, I voted uh, in obviously the media. Almost said almost almost not, not quite had to coach. explain no, it. No, right? no, I almost had to explain it. So. And I, as I started that, I realized I'm an idiot. That's and, like and Steve Forbes yeah. saying that he would be a good president on the coaches show Monday night. Just mm. not quite. I think you guys are overestimating your ability to translate the skill set. You know, so I just think he wouldn't be a good president. You probably wouldn't be a good coach. I don't know. No, I definitely would not be. A good, although I want to bring it up, uh, my two uh, coaching stints as a pitching coach at middle school did did get championships. Congratulations. Yeah, there we go. All right, let's go. Uh, so here's the back on track here, buddy. <laughs> I know, I know. I'm back. Tra- <laughs> You're reminiscing while you're talking about middle school championships. I, 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 the second, third, I, the first and seconds were, I think, a little bit of gripe is, and I don't know. There's a gripe. All, all the guys. Again, these are the 15 guys I thought were the 15 best guys in the league. I think you could take these 15 players and go play about anywhere um, because about every position is somewhat filled in there. I think I would have on the first team, and I did not put Dimitrievich for Mercer on the first team. I don't. Mm. I, I, I did have him on the second team again. Probably a little homer. I had Bo Hodges on that. Um, I did have Mason Faulkner on the second team, and that was sort of a torn situation. To me, it was like, I don't know that I could put two Western Carolina guys on the first team. No offense, but again, you know, it's a fifth-place team. I know you're not supposed to do that. You're thinking, But I think about – other things the other thing I, I just i just thought Bo probably a little more important I, and honestly to me you could have put dots or faulkner i just couldn't put them both and then i think Bo hodges probably deserved a first team vote there and then everything else is hard because i think you have to start there at first and then everything kind of falls in place second or third but you know the third team i i think was about right i mean i think noah Gurley's close to making a huge step forward i still think clay mounts is a lot like maybe bo hodges but on the offensive end it's sometimes hard to see what he does offensively but i think he's certainly a talent james dickey's just a defensive shot blocker that wreaks havoc that can guard a six foot guard out on the perimeter or go down low and take shots away you know hoover's second third team you know eh, you know i thought matt ryan was was tough i, I you know i think i had Gurley on the second team and Ryan on the third, if I remember my ballot correctly. Um, and that's probably more because Ryan had two tough games against ETSU. And, and I know stats, everything else, but it's When it's they lose, he's bad. Yes. The team kind of goes as he goes. And so I, I don't love inconsistency. So to see him on the second team and both, 
I was expecting him to be third team, but then you look at the third team on either one, it's like, okay, well, who are you going to bump up? Who are you going to bump down? I thought it was even a little bit of a stretch to have Nathan Hoover on the second team. You know my opinion well, I on mean, him. Um, and Josh Sharkey we, for the media, uh, he's really inconsistent. Turns the ball over a lot, hurts his team a lot, does do a lot of great things, but also kind of inconsistent in terms of hurting versus helping. So he, here's part of the exercise we did the other day. We said, okay, let, let's say you're starting a team with the 10 teams, but you can only take one player off each team. Oh, I like that. And then one of the – as we went down the road, we said, well, now let's do it one off each team, but you got to think about positions. So because you can't just pick 10 point guards, not that you would, but, like, what what are you thinking about? And then it got to where Chattanooga, we had a debate, okay, would you take Vila or would you take Ryan? Mm. And then sometimes I think when we said positions and you had to take positions – because there's not that many big men in the league that are solid. Like, you would take Vila, I, I think, over in that scenario where you're taking one off each team because you can already get guards. Just look at the the, the first team for either one. Lions guard, Miller guard, either Hodges or Boyd guard, Faulkner guard, Dimitrievich guard. Yeah, exactly. So, I, so you, it, Ryan kind of loses out because of that, which is probably unfair to him because you're not just judging him. So if you were to judge and say, I'll go off every team, and, and this will be a fun topic, maybe right as we're wrapping up the year, say, go to every team and say, okay, I'm going to take the best guy off every team and see what happens and then see who you take and then work work from there and see how you do. Uh, and to me, that was an interesting exercise because it made you look at people a little different thing, value ev- everything they do. And so, I again, it's, you know, I, I'm a huge Josh Sharkey fan. I think if Sanford was good, he would be way up there. No but, doubt. But Sanford was, you know, what? I eight, just can't nine, stand the double-digit turnover games. Oh, and yeah. I know that he's had his issues with Scott Padgett. Now, to be fair, it does seem like from the outside looking in, there's been a few that have had their issues player-wise with Scott Padgett. So I'm not blaming Josh Sharkey 100% by any means. But uh, that being said, uh, when you – and you have the ball in your hands a lot too, right? But he does have a lot around him in terms of offensively. So, again, I just – I think he forces it sometimes and maybe he just – thinks that you know Austin and Allen and these other guys are, are not legitimate pieces to win so he has to have the ball more but that's my one gripe with him that being said yes he does a lot of things that others can't do all in one skill set I, and I think there's a couple that that didn't get in that that I did consider that I think deserve a little bit of praise for the year I think Storm Murphy had a good year I, I think when you look at some things and and everything that went you know, sort of Wofford's way or didn't go Wofford's way, being the obviously the seventh seed. I think Robert Allen from Sanford, and I've been beating that drum. Of course, it, it sort of kind of made me look smart this last time. But I think, you know, those, those couple of uh, – those two specifically, I think – and I think even really, uh, you know, the bad thing for UNCG, that couple of injuries, you know, because Caleb Hunter didn't play a lot. Kyron Galloway missed a lot of time. So there were a couple of UNCG guys that I think probably had missed out. And, again – I think what hurt them too was kind of limping to the finish line. So, but you look at if you just go off numbers, and that's about what a lot of people do. They probably got the list exactly right. I try to look at it a little bit more, which is why I I thought maybe Clay Mounts wouldn't make it. I'm glad he did because I think he does some things offensively again are a little challenging for for other people. If you're to take one guy from the league last year, keep in mind the criteria here. One guy from the league last year give a most improved player, who would that go to? So you take out guys like, obviously, Faulkner, who transferred in, and uh, Dimitrievich, was he in the league last year? I don't remember. He was, and that's who I was going to say, because he played. I I don't even remember him. Yeah, he played last year. I I would say um, 
It, it would be one of the two Mercer guys. It would be Ethan Stare who turned into a walking double-double, or it would be Dimitri Evich. Those guys, I, I think, made the, the biggest jump. Under uh, the radar, Bothwell? Oh, man, yeah. I forgot. Yeah, yeah, a little left hand. Yeah. Mike Bothwell was yeah cer- certainly a guy that, that stepped up. Uh, you know, and you could probably even still make, you know, Noah Gurley had a big jump. I think Ramon Vila. If you look at his numbers last year to this year, I think he made a jump. I mean, you could probably, if we took, you know, like a most improved team instead of an all-freshman team and you did right. five guys, I think you could easily say the two Mercer guys, uh, Dimitri Evich, you could say Stare. I think you could say Gurley. I think you could say Vila. And I just drew a blank on him. Bothwell. And Bothwell. I think Mike Bothwell. I mean, that's a solid five-team, five guys you could roll out, roll the ball with and play and have fi- uh, be fine. I mean, m- number one, you'd have a center in Vila. You've got a couple of uh, – got a four-man in stare. You could put Bothwell really at a one through three. Dimitri Evich certainly um, could score. And then Gurley's a four or a three, depending on what you want to look at. So I think you'd have a good solid five if you did that. I also really like Chavez Goodwin. I know he, in a way, I think, cost Wofford that game against DTSU by getting in early foul trouble late in the year. Uh, but, God, high-percentage shooter. Uh, grab some boards, top 10 league problem, rebounding. Man. Yeah, and 12 points per yeah. game. I, I mean, he he's really solid too. So – I do agree. I think this is the 15. And the fact that you had it, the coaches had it, the media had it, and I look at it and I go to the stat page and look at everything else and I'm like, oh, is there anybody that really affected the game that I would like to put in overhead? Anybody else or anybody else come, that comes to mind that is egregious? I just don't think there is. No. Pretty well I, done. Yeah, I, I think I think the top 15's there. Like I said, I want to go out of my way to mention just a couple of guys. And this was a good, this was a good league this year. There were six or seven teams. Well, there were seven teams really battling out, and you could even make an argument that VMI gave people fits there towards the end of the year as well. Uh, you know, and Sanford has as many wins as VMI. So other than the Citadel, uh, and really was Fletcher B, who at some point in time looked like Fletcher McGee in our game, hitting some of those turnaround threes. So that's a look at our – that, we probably should take a break. We went a little longer than I was expecting. <laughs> and, it, and we'll break down both. Uh, well, all right. How about this? How about we take a break? Uh-huh. We talk about the women's all conference. Okay. And then we will break down the brackets. That way we. All in the same segment. Great. Sure. Okay. Santo Sidekick. The producer, Mike Gallagher, says so. Back after this. Buccaneers Sports Network. Over the last 70 years, Johnson City Power Board has had a few different looks. But we've remained the same trusted partner you rely on. Now. We've changed our name to Bright Ridge to match our vision, to deliver on our promise of great service you can count on, embracing common sense technology to strengthen the communities we serve. We're glad to be your public power provider. Bright Ridge, new name, renewed promise. Learn more at brightridge.com. and a sidekick back with you. Good debate going on. When is our next show? Are we going to Monday morning? Do, do I call in Monday from Asheville if need be? What, what, what do we do? What do we do? do? Do we try to get people hyped? We have to do that early in the morning, though, to get it out for people to pay attention. Well, okay. If you are able to get, say, a Patrick Good or a Steve Forbes or both uh, before the championship game, I think that'd be pretty cool. Um, and then I can just kind of do a quick rehash with you on the phone. Yeah, I would have to. Well, I know, I know, I'd have the Thailand be set up. I could, I could dial in the Thailand at least. Perfect. So we can do that. Uh, maybe I don't grab know. We'll good to... Forbes. Just a couple people around the program. Should the Bucks make the championship? Otherwise, I, I believe the plan was last week to do bracket blowout on Wednesday. Yeah. If the Bucks or Monday, well, no, probably Wednesday. Maybe if Wednesday. the Bucks are not yeah. in 
the championship game. Now we can figure it out. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe we'll have a Monday show. Maybe not. Either way, we're going to talk about every single game. We still got to talk uh, women's all-conference first. Stick yeah, with one it. theme. Before we break down the brackets, let's stick with, stick with one theme at a time. We are terrible at that. So let's do, because we talked about this during break as well, clearly you can tell this show very planned out all the time. Uh-huh. Let's do the women's all-conference and then also do the bracket for the women's and then get back to the men's bracket because yep. I have tons of bracket stuff on both. Uh-huh. Uh, if you look at the all-Southern Conference women's team on the coaches' side and the media side, you got Nadine Solomon, the all-time leading scorer in UNCG history, Someone that shot the Bucks out of the gym at Brooks Gym, a share of the Southern Conference Championship for UNCG. They also got Coach of the Year in Trina Patterson in both votes. Carly Coons shared in the media vote. That was my vote, as a matter of fact, for Southern Conference Coach of the Year, simply because the system changed as much as it did. And Sanford, quite honestly, to me, was one of the harder teams to watch and be interested in last season. And the fact that you, yes, bring in a Sarah Myers grad transfer power five grad transfer that I get the argument that there was more to work with at Sanford and that team had been together and Carly maybe inherited a bit but she still had to put the pieces in the right places so um, I did vote for Carly Coons but Trina Patterson shared it with Carly Coons in the media in the coaches it was alone Trina Patterson from UNCG freshman of the year Lily Hatton was really the only choice here Andrea Martin Ruiz from Western Carolina finished second and she was the only one that really garnered consideration from a lot of those around the league. But, again, on Western Carolina versus on Wofford, Hatton was starting on Wofford, a pretty veteran team, where Andrea Martin-Ruiz, of course, the Catamounts improved this year, but still only won five games, two in the league. So that was a pretty easy call. Also, Defensive Player of the Year, just like on the men's side, there is not one in the media. But in the coaches, it was Shannon Titus, and I think ETSU can attest to that. If you remember when the Bucks beat Mercer at Hawkins Arena earlier this year to end their eight-game losing streak against the Bears, and that was just a couple of games after Mercer's 34-game league-winning streak overall came to an end, it was Titus that kept Mercer in that game. It, it looked like it was going to be a runaway after the Bucks put up 27 in the second quarter, but then they went to that kind of extended press, uh, extended half-court press kind of with Titus at the top, and just making play after play, forcing turnovers. I think she had seven steals that day and a lot of transition baskets. So Defensive Player of the Year, Shannon Titus, uh, Ann Lashley Inspiration Award winner, Lakeland Bolden. Uh, everyone in the league loves her. Great kid. Um, so she wins that. But uh, that's your superlatives. Uh, I don't think a lot of people will argue with Solomon. I voted for Natalie Armstrong from Sanford. Just went best player, best team. She went from high post to the box this year in this new offense. I wasn't going to vote for Myers simply because she's first year in the league. Um didn't think that she had as complete of a body of work consistently as Armstrong did, uh, but those two um, were first-teamers in the coaches and in the media, uh, those two also first-teams, so it wasn't far off. But there's your superlatives, Jay Sandos. Yeah, and... Yeah. I'm just trying to think if I would argue with any of them and, or disagree. I don't know if argues right, but, I mean, to me, I thought Solomon was a solid choice. You've raved about Wofford, uh, Wannick, Hatton, everything there. So yep. hard to argue there. Co- coach of the year, I agree. I, I think with you, I'm sorry, I should say. I, I thought Carly Coons comes in. Like, people thought UNCG was going to be good, I think, going in this year, right? I mean, Twitty, it, Boyd, Solomon. Everyone thought they were going to be good. This was the year they are going to make noise. I can't think of anybody that looked at me and said, do you know who's going to be really good that could win the league? Sanford. Not one person. So that's why and, – and I realize – there were some pieces there. Maybe they just need to run something different. Maybe this, that, and other. But I Which think takes I coaching, right? I mean, that's right. the thing. Oh, absolutely. So I, I think I would have gone Carly 
uh, Koontz there. Now, defensive player of the year is a little tougher for me to 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 talk on. Ty Kimbrough had 50 blocks, led the league, is one away, by the way, from breaking the ETSU single se- – or tying the ETSU single season record for blocks in a season. I think blocks is always a uh, stat that you'll garner some attention from. Yep. Problem is when she's not blocking a shot, she's mostly allowing baskets. And so I think that some noticed that around the league. Uh, Cairo Booker would have been a good choice, also from Wofford. Kaya Upton was third in the league in steals, so there's that as well. Uh, of course, you remember Erica Haynes-Overton, the two-time reigning defending no, Southern Conference Defensive hosed. Player of the Year. Uh, she is no on the longer. Player of the Year, sorry, not on the. Who did? I still got who's on being Player of the Year, not the. Who's that? Um, Overton. Oh well, anyway, she's gone. Uh, Defensive Player of the Year two times in a row, so that was kind of a vacant up for grab spot. Um, and Titus, I, I just. I like the choice because Mercer just didn't have much at all. And to see what she was able to do against CTSU at the top of that extended press and half-court press, whatever you want to call it, uh, really haven't seen it a lot before. Um, Really, it's just you're trying to trap 35 feet away from the basket and force turnovers. But Titus was up there by herself a lot and doing the lion's share of the work. I I didn't mind that choice. Um, There were a couple others that came to mind for some, but really for me – you know, we look at the blocks and the steals, but in terms of affecting a game and being out there a ton, Shannon Titus may not have been the offensive threat people thought she was going to be this year, but I think she was the defensive threat they thought she'd be. Yeah. I, I think uh, when you look at Titus, I think everything around sort of what you were expecting from that squad, and Mer- and I know they lost well, the last couple of years, they've lost tremendous amount of talent. And I think the thought was that process would just keep rolling and it would just keep going. And one of the reasons why is because of Titus and obviously um, what she's been able to do defensively. And defense, if I remember correctly from the numbers, was not the issue. They had all kinds of struggles offensively. I think we've documented how many games they went without a three or uh, in their bottom, like, Ten teams in the country in threes. Five of the final nine games going I mean, into last just, weekend had not made it three. Just anemic, and so for them to be successful, it almost feels like when you look at that that it had to be on uh, Titus to put it on to stop defensively. So I think when you look at some of those factors and the fact that that's how it was going to go, I think it was just shocking the way Mercer's season went. And I know they had to kick somebody off the team and, and some other things, but. Another person uh, transferred. They're starting right. point guard. Yeah. So you're looking at a bunch of that. So I mean, considering how Mercer had to compete, I mean Titus is about as good as I think anybody you could throw out there. For ETSU, Micah Sheets was second team in the media. She did not get a coach's honor. Now she was third team in the media last year. Of course, for her, I, I think the difficult part this year was adjusting to a new role. And she talked with me about it earlier today at the Harris Cherokee Center after practice. Just kind of said, yeah, it's been an adjustment period, but just tried to do what I could for my team and really try and find myself as that number one scorer after being um, the number two, really, last year, as she was very honest about that. So she's second team. Ty Kimbrough does get all defensive team, though not defensive player of the year. Uh, All freshman team, Lindsey Taylor, Jill Harris, Dina Geralds, Andrea Martin-Ruiz, Lily Hatton were the five for each. Now you did add because there was a tie in the coaches, uh, Alyssa Walker from Western Carolina. First team from the coaches, Jaron Doherty from Mercer, uh, one of the, I think, rare bigs along with Natalie Armstrong that are true bigs that really dominate in this league. Nadine Solomon, Sarah Myers, there's Chloe Wanick. I, I really like that Wanick was included on the first team. There were some people that disagreed. 
it's not just because it's a feel-good story. It is because she truly, when watching her, it was just a joy to watch play and could stroke it from pretty much anywhere on the court, unlike anybody I've seen in the Southern Conference, just in terms of shooting the basketball. Was she maybe a bit of a one-trick pony? Okay, you can lob that criticism at her if you'd like. But she was so much better at everyone else in this league at that one thing, and she was at the center of what was the most powerful offense in the league when she was healthy, that I think even though she missed the last five or six games with that torn ACL, obviously heartbreaking thing for her to have to end her career on, uh, it was the right choice to put her first. I I think it's a great job uh, by the coaches. or every, uh, then she got both right, Cloney. She did. The only okay. difference between the coach and media was, was Jaron Doherty was on the second team in the media. Tira Hodges from Furman took first team on media. But Wanick, I, th- I think, absolutely deserves the recognition. It wasn't like she got her third Southern Conference game of the year fairly late in the year. It was in the ETSU game, but it's fairly late in the year. So I'm glad that they did the right thing and put Chloe Wanick in there. Uh, no, no. I thought the coaches. I don't know. I don't know that. Dor- I don't know that I would have voted Doherty. Did you vote Doherty? I, I voted Doherty second team. Okay, yeah. I, I think I would not have put Do- uh, Doherty on the first team as far as coaches. That would be my only. I don't. Again, it's tough to say gripe because these are all solid players. But but I don't. I would not. I didn't get a vote, but I would not have voted Doherty for the first team. That would be the only thing with the coaches. I would have said I would have disagreed with. Look at the second team on the coaches: Lejay Davidson from Furman. She also made the media second team. Same with Shannon Titus, Tierra Hodges. We mentioned in coaches was second team in media. First team, Tasia Twitty was second team on both teams, and Deja Green was second team from the coaches. Uh, she ended up being third team for the media, who name a third team, uh, the defensive team for the coaches, and then third team, just to finish up, Charity Brown, Lakeland Bold, and Bria Dial, Jewel Smalls, and then there is Deja Green, who is second team by the coaches, third team by the media. So, again, there's that little bit of discrepancy. Yeah, and I don't understand. I would rather I, – I, it's great. Defense players are getting recognized. I would rather have a third team, I, I think. I mean, to me, to, you know, there's no uh, Lakeland Boldland, no Jewel Smalls, nothing like that for the coaches. I think they deserve to be – Recognized, and again, I'm not anti-defense. Obviously, this situation, and it's great that you get all defensive team. I think I would rather have a third team uh, and have the top 15 players, no matter what your criteria is for the top 15 players listed and recognized for the coaches. Okay, here's what I'm going to do for for the bracket on both sides. Okay, for women's basketball, I'm just going to go through the matchups, talk to you about the series between the two teams, give you a couple points on each, and ask you a question on each game. All right. Then we move on to the next, and you don't necessarily have to pick these games if you don't want. I am. I am. You're. You're. You're going to make me listen for the question. Here. You have to listen. Okay. Yeah. Just for I the might question. Throw the question you know, in, in the middle of the breakdown just to keep you on your toes. Okay. Am I allowed to comment on anything else? Or am, oh, are absolutely. You, are you Feel limiting free. this just to pay attention to the question no matter what? No, no, no. Feel free to comment on whatever okay. you want. Okay. Let's start with ETSU and UNCG. We're not going to spend a ton of time. We usually, Understand. with ETSU, talk like 20, 25 minutes about yep. a game. We're not going to do that this time. We're just going through the whole bracket. Number six, ETSU. Number three, UNCG. UNCG wins 63 to 47 in Greensboro. First game of the conference here for both sides, 65 to 45 at Brooks. Brittany Azell says that the Bucks need to be ultra efficient offensively. I think that's 100% the case against a team that has the defensive prowess of UNCG. Jada Craig talked to her yesterday, thinks the Bucks have to get back in transition. That was the big problem in game 1. It was 24 to 10 after a quarter mainly because UNCG is just getting rebounds and throwing it over the top, getting steals, going in transition. They're very good in that aspect of the game. Um, and really getting off to a good start, I think, is something that you also have to point out for the Bucks. Lost by 14 in that first quarter uh, in the game at Greensboro and then uh, lost by 16 in the game as a whole. Uh, fell behind by 17 in matchup two at halftime. 
lost by 20 after scoring just 11 first-half points. For UNCG, we talked about Indeed Solomon, Southern Conference Player of the Year, 22nd team. Asia Boyd doesn't make the third team. I voted her there. I think she's an all-conference player as well. Uh, Coach of the Year, Trina Patterson. Most overall wins for UNCG since the beginning of the millennium. No league year above 500 since 2006-07. This year, 10-4. and four. Won five of their last six with a win over LS, or ETSU in there. Almost had a 40 and slips at LSU. ETSU men's basketball beat LSU earlier this year. Maybe that's where my head's at. Best scoring defense in the league for UNCG by six points per game. They're 81% from the free throw line in league play. Led the league in steals during league play. Dangerous as a team, Jay Sandoz, that creates turnovers, is good in transition, can defend at every level, and hit their free throws. ETSU can win this game if they can just get out of the blocks. (laughs) I think they can do that. I think they can create turnovers. I think they can score. I know UNCG, you mentioned all the accolades defensively and what all they do. But I think this game is going to come down to more about can ETSU score? Can they score and get off of the schneid early in the game? And the, fortunately, you know, making this a slugfest has never been a, a, a mode that's going to help ETSU, I, I don't think. But I do think they're going to have to win a few categories. One, they have to force more turnovers, and they have to get more points off those turnovers. I think that's sort of a good-on-good matchup that you got in that situation. Getting off to a fast start, getting to the free throw line knocking down free throws has got to be important for ETSU. Brittany Azell has said that she likes this matchup, was – hoping that they get this matchup, kind of prefers this matchup. It's nothing against UNCG. She just thinks they match up well. I would have preferred Chattanooga or Wofford. What say you? Uh, no, that's a, I think my first preference certainly would have been Chattanooga with the two games that they played, not just because I hate Chattanooga, but, but literally because the first couple games, you look at the makeup of the triple overtime, you look at the down to the wire on the next overtime. Wofford's a different team without Colonial I, I, I think it's hard to not recognize that and see could it be – tough because to, I only played a couple of games and one of them was the rival Furman I guess last last game of the regular season I think I would have preferred those two teams I didn't particularly like the matchup with Sanford or UNCG me, me personally uh, but coach knows more about it than I do no I think if you take out and you can't do it because it happened it's one of those things but if you do take out slow starts ETSU's not been really overwhelmed in it the problem is UNCG has just got them off the bat and my issue with that matchup is if UNCG jumps off the bat again quickly, is it hard for a player in the back of the mind to go, uh-oh, here we go again? I just don't like playing a team that defends as well as UNCG or Sanford does. That's what worries me. Chattanooga doesn't. Because points are at a premium already. So. Always. And when you're not ultra-efficient offensively like ETSU has not been this year, you can see why Brittany Azell says, we need to be ultra-efficient offensively because when we are, we can be really good. It's just something they struggle with. All right, so you mentioned Kimbrough with 50 blocks. Is is she chasing Candace Gibson? There's two tied at 51. I haven't looked at who they are. I, I you can look while I break down the one, five four. One is Candace Gibson. That's driving me crazy. Well, I was trying to look. Okay, you, you read, and I'll find. The five, Wofford versus the four, Furman. The team split during the regular season. Furman winning by six. Wofford winning earlier this year by four. Jamari McDavid returns for Wofford after missing two-plus weeks following a hard fall on her leg versus ETSU. She played 16 minutes against Furman in the regular season finale the first time she had been back. She did not start. She did not score. We'll see if she is 100% going into Thursday. 
Wofford lost three of their four to end the year since beating ETSU by 24, but losing Chloe Wanick, as we talked about, two season and career ending ACL surgery. Terriers only averaging 53.25 points per game since Wanick has gone down after scoring 66 or more, eight of the nine prior to that. Furman, I just think the disappointment of the year, personally, and it's not to say they can't make a run in the postseason, but Selena Taborn has not been really present a lot at all during the conference season. Just one double-figure game in the final seven and six combined points the final two. I do like Tierra Hodges. think she's honestly their most dangerous player. But when Leger Davidson, and both of these are all second team by the coaches, Hodges and Davidson, uh, when she gets going, she can be really dangerous. Lindsey Taylor, all freshman team, but they're losing the turnover battle. They're not a good three-point shooting team, and without Taborn on the floor, not a lot of an interior presence to defend the rim. These two teams played five days earlier. Do you think that that affects things at all? I personally think this is, while it would have been a great game if Wanick was healthy, more so now, a heavily favored Furman team. And I still can't figure out Furman for everything you just said. I, I really thought they would be top of the heap, primed to win. Now, you thought Wofford would be – we kind of screwed You I thought did. Wofford, I thought Furman. And here they are in the 4-5 game. And Furman seems to have a little more weapons at its disposal because of the injury. And, I, you know, this is actually – I think it's the, the only women's that's sort of the, the back-to-back games. The men have two of them because UNCG and Chat just recently played and then Sanford Viamari played. So I usually don't like those setups. I think sometimes it favors the team that didn't win four or five days ago. But in this situation, I'm going to agree. I think Furman uh, just has a little too much firepower. I did look up. Looks like you nailed it. I was half right. Candace Gibson. Well, I didn't know there was two. Candace Gibson, 51, uh, and Warren Roberts, uh, high school product. So we got one of those on our team as well. Uh, And Serena Clark, who I'd forgotten about, who uh, started her career at Clemson transferred was a big member of Brittany Zill's squad that uh, got to the title game came came from behind from like 20 down to get it to overtime and lost Chattanooga in an epic championship game uh, and then ended up going I think pharmacy I think she's pharmacist so Serena Clark good intro for her just one number seven Mercer versus number two Chattanooga Mercer won the first game 55 to 48 between these two sides Chattanooga struck back won 58 to 52 in the middle of five straight to, to end the year. Five straight wins, that is, for the Mox to end the year. Both teams short on depth. Chap played seven against DTSU with Paré Penny out. Mercer in the second-to-last game against Western Carolina of the season. Only five bench minutes. Five bench minutes. Three starters played the full 40. Mercer has not scored more than 61 points in six weeks. They're bottom of the conference in league scoring. Of course, Titus and Doherty, all second team, as we talked about. They love to go with that extended zone press with Titus up top. Very athletic. Chattanooga, with these teams being kind of made up the same in terms of their lack of depth and their uh, struggles to score from time to time. They do have that five-game win streak. The experience does favor them. Mercer is seniorless. Nakia Burks and Lakeland Bolden are the two seniors for Chattanooga who scored the final six points of the game against DTSU to seal their share of the league title. Sixth regular season title for Chat in eight years. Ebony Williams, you know I've talked about her being a really solid piece and perhaps the X factor for her uh, and the team. Uh, can she get to the boards? Can she go inside and finish? Can she get around her defender? They're 6-1 in, one in league play when she has scored in double figures. What is the deciding factor in a game for you that features short bench versus short bench, lack of depth on both sides? Well, I, I think it, it comes down to shooting, and the distinct advantage is Chattanooga. I think they've just it's easier for them to find points out on the floor than it is for Mercer and it, Mercer 
for, for Chad's just going to be making shots. For Mercer's, can they hold them to under 30% shooting? Like if they held them to something, you know, 28, 25% shooting, I think Mer- Mercer certainly got some pieces to muck up a 52-50 game and win that. I think if Chattanooga's able to score and put 60 or more on the board, I just don't see Mercer scoring that much in the contest. Western Carolina is the eight. Sanford is the one. 12 and 17-point victories against the Catamounts for Sanford, though Western scored just four points in the fourth quarter after being down only five on the 29th. So that was a pretty competitive game until that final quarter. Western, one one win over Chattanooga and Mercer this year. Lost five straight coming into the tournament. No other wins aside from the Chattanooga and Mercer win during league play. Kind of a shocking lack of conviction in getting to the rim and creating contact for me when you look at him. Shot just 216 free throws the entire year. 216 free throws the entire year. And if you're adding that up, that's about 7.5 per game. Only 145 made. Dead last in the country in both. They've actually shot 40% or better from the floor in 12 straight games. But when you're not getting the free points, it makes it tough. In two conference wins, they were plus 14 in the paint. And with Timber Motes... And what she does down low, 11 of 16 combined in wins over Chattanooga and Mercer. It seems like an obvious thing to try and get her the ball, go to work in the paint, and since you were plus 14 in the painted area, in the key, I'm not sure why they don't do that more, but just has not seemed like their identity. Sanford, best scoring margin in the league, top three point shooting team in league play, playing together. Their tops in the league in assists. Myers or Armstrong could have very well been player of the year. In losses, the team outside of those two had just 24 versus Chat. 38 versus Wofford, Armstrong, by the way, in single digits that game. 40 versus Sanford, Myers was in single digits that game. 39 versus Furman, 77, 72, 69, and 64 allowed in losses. Teams are shooting well from outside and at the free throw line in wins over Sanford. So really the problems come more on the defensive side, and when they lose an interest or outpointed on that end of the floor, what do you think the number that Western needs to get to in order to win this game is? I think the number for Western to get to is that Sanford's got to play 10 a.m. Central, and they hope that Sanford either oversleeps or uh, just stumbles at that start time. I think that's about the only number you can go with. But, uh, I mean, the Western's just been – they've twice they've been able to find themselves, right? That's basically all they've been able to do. I, I don't know. I, this is the – if I had to pick every game, men's and women's basketball, and you tell me which one are you most confident about, this is the one. This is the one. Even more than Wofford and Citadel. A lot of people are going to say, well, Citadel hasn't won a game in a minute. The one I'm most confident about that I would say is that Samford, even if they played slow, even if they didn't hit shots, I mean, West Carolina would have to, gosh, I don't even know what number they would get to. I just, I have zero faith. Uh, you could say any number, and I would still say Samford would top them. Uh, and that, and that I'm, I'm just looking at all the things that I and my own eyeballs on a few of them. I just this is the most confident of any matchup that there is that, that Sanford will roll. There's the matchups. Looking at everything outside of that matchup, because I agree with you, I think it's a very wide open field. I do think that Wofford is a distinct underdog without Chloe Wanink. Uh, I think Mercer could get that done against Chattanooga. I know that they struggle to score, and I know they only got three players that can do that Shannon Titus, Amorian Neil Tyser, and Jaron Doherty. But when they're clicking and when they're all three of them doing their thing, They can still be dangerous, and when they're forcing those turnovers and getting easy points off of those, I also think ETSU, if they can take down UNCG and find a way after only scoring 92 combined points in those two games against UNCG in the regular season, if they can find a way past that quarterfinal game, 
I really like the matchup against either Chattanooga or Mercer, and then that's a chance to get to the championship game. You have to take it one game at a time, of course, especially in the fact that you're 4-10 and 10 in league play, only won nine games all year. You can't look past anyone, right? That's a very basic thing that you have to instill in your players' heads, and I think Coach Zell is doing that. But outside of Western Carolina and Wofford, I would actually put those two teams at the bottom of teams I think are likely to make it all the way to the championship. I think it could really go for any other of the six teams. And I wouldn't be surprised if Furman is what we thought they may be at the beginning of the year in this tournament with it being so wide open. I don't think them being the four seed scares me off at all. And again, even in ETSU, you know, with the regular season they've had, it's different now. You know, and you're staring the last game of your career in the face for a lot of these players, and you don't want to be done, right? So I really think that six of the eight could go and do this. I, I agree. I, th- I think they're all uh, – Wofford, I think, could win the first matchup because it's Furman. And, and just the rivalry, just everything they just played. But after that, I, I think that they would struggle. I, I mean, wouldn't it would not shock me if Wofford won that game. I, I'm on the record, I would say Furman would win the game, or I'll be on the record and just say it now. I think Furman will win the game. And Furman was a team that got title game last year. It was a little bit of a shock, I, I think, the way they went. And then they came down to the last second or overtime or whatever it was. But tight game last year for Furman. So they've been in that situation. You know, a lot of the other teams haven't. UNCG's not. Sanford's not. I think the bottom half of the bracket with uh, Chattanooga, Mercer, UNCG, ETSU defensively, you know, almost put, uh, other than taking Sanford out of that group, I think you got four solid defensive teams. The teams that have a little better chance to put the ball in the holes, UNCG and Chat, but because of how all these games have been kind of mucked up, I mean, you could legitimately see Mercer and ETSU advance. Um, I think I agree. You could see ETSU advance again, and if they drew anybody – uh, maybe in Sanford, I think, again, it's it's an opportunity. And Sanford's still the best defensive team at the top of the bracket. They certainly can, can score the ball. I think Wofford would have been my second scoring team without Wanak there. Then you're talking about Furman. Again, I give West Carolina zero chance there. So this is as wide open as it went because for 20-plus years it was Chattanooga. Like, it was Chattanooga and everybody else. And, and last you, two and years you got a And last two years have been Mercer. And now I think teams are going to get there, and it's going to be – who wants to grab the moment? And maybe because Furman was there last year, I could see Furman honestly making a run and winning it just because of last year. I don't think they have the pieces or have been able to get the pieces to play together as they did last year, but I would not have picked them to be in the title game last year either and and have a shot with you know a few seconds to go in a game. So I this is wide open as it gets. I think, I think Wofford – could win one but there's no way they're winning three there's no way western's winning three even if they won one and i think the other teams have a shot to win three i mean you can make an argument yep it'll be samford and chad or uncg kind of chalk there but my guess is there'll be a couple of upsets there'll be a non or one or two and there could be a one or two in championship game but i don't think you'll see one and two meet in the championship game i i think there'll be more things that go in the women's tournament um, than just a uh, one versus four, two versus three in the semis, and a one versus two in the championship. Don't see it happening. I think Do not if, see it happening. I think if you were to try and predict the championship game right now, one versus three would probably be what a lot of people would look at. Um, but, again, the three is susceptible. The two is susceptible. Uh, the five with Furman across from them, obviously susceptible. The only team that I think is has a path that's, quote-unquote, easy or the easiest path 
is Sanford if the Furman team that shows up during the regular season shows up again in the postseason. Peeling back the curtain for a second, we've still got three segments to go, and we only have three sponsors for the show. Really two because we can't sponsor ourselves, and the coaches' show doesn't sponsor us. So I've been waiting to bust this one out for a long time because, indeed... You've made it halfway through the marathon. When do you get to that point where enough is enough? Shut up! Shut up! Shut up! Haven't you ruined my life enough already? It's hour two of Sandos and the Sidekick on the Buccaneers Sports Network. Strap yourselves in! Here we go! Okay! Alright, now are you we're gonna do the blurb. We're gonna we're breaking down the men's bracket. Yep. Then we're gonna do pros versus Jays and bull predicts. That's or, right. Okay. On air production. So you do not want my winners in this. You just want my answer. No, to because questions. in the bull predictions that people listened on Monday. We are doing Okay. I, I just want to make sure you're not posing a question that puts me in a bad spot there. No, there is a question. Okay. I think there's a high probability that people are just probably tuning in for the breakdown of the tournaments because you won't really find, I think, extensive coverage really all throughout the year, but especially on, what, a day or two before the tournament, if you're talking women's or men's side, that level and depth of coverage on the entire tournament like you will here. So if you're just tuning in for this show, we did say on Monday that we're going to break down the men's bracket in bold predictions Pick each game, a point for each game, pick correctly for each of us. I am down by two in bold predictions. Two Jay Sandos, as we'll talk about later. But no, don't pick a winner. Let's just break just it down. Just answer the question. Go. Number 10, Citadel. And number seven, Wofford. Kalen Harris, a career-high 32 and a 73-71 loss to Wofford for Citadel earlier this year. 79-56 to in favor of the Terriers the second time around. Harris was one for six in game two. Wofford plus 12 on the boards after being even with Wofford in the first game that was so close. Goodwin, that being Chavez, 11 of 12 in the win, talking him up in the first segment, of course. Nathan Hoover, the rare, very efficient game, 8 of 11 from the floor after going 4 of 12 in that 73-71 to loss, um, or I should say that 73-71 victory against Citadel, but I'm sure it felt like a uh, demoralizing loss or victory to have against the Bulldogs, considering it was only by two and they did not win the entire year, according to the SoCon record book. And you can correct me if I'm wrong and you remember anything in your lifetime or just that you're aware of that says this is not correct. I went back to see when the last time a team was winless in Southern Conference play was. And the Southern Conference record book has a few teams when you go back through the years that were 0-0. Zero and zero. So mm. I just kind of threw those out. But last time a team in the SoCon record book played games in the SoCon official games, it was Davidson, winless in the 1959-1960 season. <laughs> 60 years. I can't have a no better team. Um, I, okay, that's you got more? Or you oh, want? yeah, I got plenty. Okay. Consistently, Citadel's been beaten at their own game in this conference year. Teams are making at least seven threes, and they've done that 16 straight games. Ten of those, they've made double-figure threes, teams that have been opposite of Citadel. Worst three-point shooting team in, in the league during conference play are the Bulldogs, which obviously is going to kill them. Uh, they are third in the league in blocks. That doesn't help them, though. Hayden Brown, I think that injury early in the season cost him. Eddie Davis the third gone that didn't help either uh in terms of Wofford they had lost nine league games by a combined 49 points until losing by 12 to Mercer last game complete flip from last year offense is terrible the defense is the better side of the ball second to last in league play in scoring they're the third best scoring defense Storm Murphy just three of his last 13 from the field Nathan Hoover has shot about 50 percent once in the last 10 games Goodwin 17 times that he's played 20 plus minutes 15 of those he's had double figures Double figures just three times in the other 14 games. And the question, Jay Sandoz, as you tune back in. Most lopsided 7-10 matchup since the SoCon went to this format or 
is it over for Wofford? Have they finally been broken after all those close losses after they put up just 47 points versus Mercer in the final game of the year? The most shocking Southern Conference tournament I ever went to, Furman, the 10 seed, only I think had one win, maybe two wins, made it all the way to the title game. Wow. So is it out of the possibility that Citadel could make a run? I feel like you're going to drop a bombshell here. No, I'm not. Oh, okay. Uh, it, it, it's it's happened. It, it That was the one thing, uh, going back and trying to look, I was like, hey, when was the last time? And it, it kind of slapped me in the face because it was a few years ago. It was actually with um, Devin Sibley and Kroom and all those guys from, from Furman, who both those guys ended up being a player of the year in the Southern Conference. That's sort of started with uh, Nico Medvedev and got them going to that title game. They were rode that wave next year and started to turn the program around to where you're seeing Wofford right now compete for Southern Conference championships. So that sort of turned it for the Citadel. It's it's just been a long, long year. They've got some tight games. They've been blown out. Wofford has had heartbreaker after heartbreaker. Can Citadel do the unthinkable, which is beat the team that was undefeated in the league last year, was the darling of the Southern Conference, the darling NCAA tournament. was really if Fletcher McGee accidentally hits two shots in that game that we've seen all season. They probably beat Kentucky and go to the Sweet 16 to see every single break not go Wofford's way in this game. It's, it's going to be heartache for one. Is Citadel going to set the record for – worst futility since 59-60 or is it going to be Wofford with maybe an epic fall from grace from one year number nine VMI versus number eight Sanford VMI lost by six in this matchup the last day of February lost by three January 4th Josh Sharkey averaging 22 and a half and 8.5 assists per game in those four in double figures one game five in the other for the Bulldogs in terms of double figure scores VMI hit 31 combined threes in those games and lost both Sanford plus 34 in the paint combined. VMI did exactly kind of what you and me talked about on the show multiple times. We thought they'd do down the stretch. They clipped one team after being so close so many times. It was Western on the road. Then they lost by three, seven, and six to end the year to other opponents. Nine of their 15 league losses separated by seven or less. They limited turnovers to 11 or below four times the last six weeks. Two wins, a three-point loss to UNCG, and a three-point loss to Mercer so when they do that obviously success at least in terms of being competitive does come during league play they lead the league in assists and threes made just more sound and effective three-point shooting than I think a lot of people want to compare them because they're a uh, a military school much like uh, an academy you know much like uh, Citadel is but there's just not a lot of similarities in terms of their effectiveness and execution obviously on the offensive side of the floor as we run through those stats. Sanford, their only other wins outside of VMI this year in the league were over Citadel. Four wins by 22 combined points, but they're minus 13.9 in terms of the scoring margin in league play. And again, their four wins, two over VMI, two over Citadel, have come by 22 combined points. I think they have the better individual talents. Josh Sharkey, Robert Allen, who scored 25 against CTSU and 23 against VMI. Brandon Austin, that the Bucks have shut down, but has scored in double digits 20 times this year. And Josh Sharkey has been, as much gruff as I gave him in segment number one, he has been a lot more consistent over the last few games. 23 points per game over the last three. Eight threes in those games. 19 assists as well. They just don't seem to want to defend. 85 points per game is what they're allowing during league play. That's far and away worst in the league. My question to you... Maybe not so much who's going to win the game, but who should Buck fans be rooting for? 
Well, that's a good one. I think the success ETSU has had against uh, Sanford certainly goes out. I, I was trying to find the stat. Okay, here it is. Ray. So ETSU versus their side of the bracket. That's VMI, Western, Sanford, Mercer. Steve Forbes is 42-1 and one against. Wow. Not named Steve Forbes. Every single other team that has played those four teams are 148 wins to 49 losses. Wow. Almost 100. You'd have to lose to those four teams twice, if I'm doing quick math right, for about 12 and a half seasons <laughs> for that to even get back to 500. Um, that being said, VMI has had a knack for giving the Bucks fits. And that's not to say... Sanford hasn't been talented, hasn't been able to do whatever, but for and Sanford gives ETSU fits, it seems like, really only at the Pete Hanna Center. VMI seems to give ETSU fits no matter where they play. So that being said, it, it it's tough to say. VMI's ultimate thing, they shoot a lot of threes, they get them to go down. Sanford's not particularly a great three point shooting team, but last time ETSU played them, they were unbelievable. So the matchup, I think fans won't probably point, I'm assuming, point to Sanford. I'd agree. Uh, but it's hard to say either way. Number six, Chattanooga versus number three, UNCG. The Mox got scrubbed at 72-52 to 52 the first time around. One on the final day, though, against UNCG by two as Isaiah Miller missed a game-time shot late. 74-72 to the final. Bad Matt Ryan first game, 3 of 13 for nine points for Chattanooga against the Spartans. Good Matt Ryan second game, 5 of 11 for 15 points. Outside of Ryan, David John Baptiste and Vila that we already talked about in the first segment, Ramon Vila. Uh, those three, of course, are kind of their core. Everyone else in the last game of the year was 10 for 18 from the field outside of those three. So they did get some solid contributions. Uh, 10 of 20 from outside as well, where Chattanooga in the second game versus 5 of 18 in the first game. Since Ryan got bitter, you remember that sound oh, we used? Oh, yeah, the Western one? Bitter yeah. about losing to Western a second time, a game in which he had 12 points and took nine shots. Has been more involved and more aggressive. Hasn't scored below 14 points, taking double-digit shots in every game. Vila, spectacular lately. Double figures, 14 of the last 15. Has shot below 50% in a game just once in the last three months. Only losses since losing to ETSU by 16 were by five to Furman and five to Mercer. So the Mox have been in a lot of games. UNCG, you mentioned they trailed off at the end of the year, lost their final two by 14 to Furman in a game that wasn't so much in doubt outside of a couple of minute spurts here and there uh, for UNCG. And there in the second half before the Paladins pulled away, uh, of course, you did have the two-point loss to Chad as well that we just mentioned. Isaiah Miller, great player. I don't know why he shoots the ball outside of 18 feet. He's just not a good outside shooter. 28 of 118 from three. The team doesn't make enough, and opponents make too much from beyond the arc, it seems. 36% is what opponents are shooting against UNCG from deep. Second worst three-point defense in the league during league play. Uh, will free throw shooting cost them? That's something that ETSU has had to answer in years past. Will free throw shooting be something that comes up and nips UNCG? They're worst in the league. Or during league play by 3%. Is Chattanooga talented enough to get this done? I'd say Kenich was good early. He's kind of gone cold. John Baptiste, shoddy second half of the conference. Rod Johnson has been quiet. Now, is UNCG good enough at basketball to get it done? Because they're very athletic, but can they execute the basics at a high enough level? Looking at the statistics, some of the time the answer is no. So very contrasting styles, I think, between Chattanooga and UNCG. You know, if you can... If you have bigger guards that can throw over the top of the zone and get it into shooters' hands for good quality shots, you can get UNCG out of the zone. 
it seems like Chat does have some pieces that would work to get them out of the zone. They've also got just enough of an inside game to create some havoc. They got good size. Uh, I mean, in general, they got several guys over six seven. Um, athleticism, obviously UNCG. I don't. It, it's hard to say who else can out athlete them. That's sort of their mo. ETSU and UNCG. I think clearly, uh, and that's no knock. There are certainly athletic guys on every team. But I think if you look up top bottom of the roster, usually uh, ETSU and UNCG is at least top three, if not top two, every time. So uh, I think Chat has. If they hit shots, they certainly look like world beaters. The problem is sometimes they don't hit shots. For UNCG, they're in a little bit of a funk right now. They had a, a little bit of a break before they play again, plus they're playing the team that just beat them again. So, to me, I think UNCG, can they get out of the funk? Can they rectify what went wrong in the previous meeting with Chattanooga? And, you know, Matt Ryan, if he gets things going, he's he's a handful. And when he doesn't, Chattanooga is not, not a whole lot to write home about. I did think it was interesting. We talked about good Matt Ryan versus bad Matt Ryan, but that stat I mentioned at the beginning of the conversation that everyone else outside of their big three, Velo Ryan and Gene Baptiste, were 10 of 18 in the last game of the year. So it shows that it doesn't necessarily always revolve around Ryan, much as I may paint it to be that way. Now, he was better that game than the first game. Six more points, a couple more field goal makes, but the fact that you did get those contributions, you wonder how guys like A.J. Caldwell, Jonathan Scott, Trey Dooms, uh, Kenich and then Johnson, who have both just not been good in terms of involvement and work rate in the second half of this conference season, if they're riding high going into this game. And, and they got three or four. And almost all those guys you named can all shoot the three at some point. Besides Vila, and you didn't name Vila, but all the other ones you named can can really. Sh- I mean, we saw AJ Caldwell ourselves firsthand when he went yeah. six for six against ETSU. David Jean Baptiste is another guy that can just flat out fill it up. You know, Kenich is a guy that, although he's almost like a seven-footer, he's only going to really shoot threes on you. Rod Johnson is a hard matchup for what he does, and he does like to take threes. He doesn't always hit them, but if he knocks a couple of threes down for you, you could be in a lot of trouble. Number five, Western Carolina. Number four, Mercer, who beat Western 85-79 to 79, January 22nd, 11 days earlier, losing to them by eight. The difference was Dimitri Ivich. He went off in the loss, had 34. No one else, though, with more than eight for Mercer. And he went off in the win, so maybe the difference wasn't his production, but everything else around him. He had 24 on 13 shots in the win, but Jeff Gary and Ethan Stare combined for 37 points. Mercer also 2 of 19 in the loss from deep, 0 of 11 outside of Jordy Dimitrievich, uh, and 9 of 22 in the win, or Georgie Dimitrievich, I should say, 9 of 22 in the win. So three-point shooting, obviously, a big thing, as it is for most teams that are going to be successful consistently. If you can do that on a game-by-game basis, it's going to be a lot easier. Western Carolina have split their last eight games, putting up 109 against Sanford and winning by 31, but also scoring 67 against ETSU and getting just flamed by Patrick Good, losing by one. Stager and Dotson both really good in league play with their averages up, and they lead the league in conference scoring Do Western Carolina. Three-point percent rebounding margin, but they are sloppy with the ball. Bottom of the league in turnover margin, and we saw it cost them with Dotson and Faulkner giving up turnovers late. Of course, the offensive foul on Dotson, then the Faulkner turnover uh, led to Patrick Good just going off, and ETSU being able to get back in the game after it looked like it was over. Against D1 teams not named UNCG, who held him to seven combined points in two games, Faulkner, only one other team has held him below double digits, and it was ETSU allowing nine, uh, and that being on Saturday. Mercer, are they the hottest team outside of ETSU? They've won 11 of the 14 entering the tournament, 
uh, that they played since, what, seven or so weeks ago. Six by double figures. They blew out the Bucks in their home court. Their only loss is at Furman, home to ETSU, home to UNCG, all by double digits. Dimitri Ivich, three games. He scored less than 12 points. It's Furman, Furman, and UNCG. 17 combined in those games against the Bucs, 40 combined. So that's just very interesting to see how he's been kind of figured out by the other top two teams. The Bucs haven't been able to stop him yet. Ethan Stare, 14 of his first 15 were in double digits. 11 of the 16 since, but did have 28 points and 33 rebounds last week, the Southern Conference Player of the Week. My question to you, Circa Sports, I haven't heard of them, but they did release some odds on the tournament, and everything seemed pretty across the board, normal, nothing jumped off the page except that Mercer was plus 5,000 versus Western Carolina being plus 1,800. And to me, this game looks a lot more like a right down to the wire, depending on who's hot on the given day. It could go either way versus Western Carolina being a almost 3-1 to one favorite, not in the game, but to go on and win the tournament rather than Mercer. I think for Western Carolina, the biggest thing for them is the what if. What if Cameron Gibson didn't get hurt? They were playing really good basketball and gave him another scoring threat, gave him something else to, to think about. And there's a lot of young talent on Western. I think they're they're built to be fairly good next year. Mercer's going to lose a couple, but if Ross Cummings comes back, he's, he's going to redshirt now. He can also grad transfer. But Mercer's got a couple of guys sitting out that are quality uh, players at different schools. So uh, one of them in South Carolina that was sitting out, and another was all-league player, I think, of Fairfield. So they've got some interesting things. The thing about West Carolina – Against the top three teams, they were 0-6. You know, didn't beat ETSU, didn't beat Furman, didn't UNCG. They split with Mercer. Mercer did have the win against ETSU, but they didn't do so well against there either. To me, I think, again, it kind of comes down to do they hold. And I know you can look at Dimitri Evich and go, boy, he's gone off twice. But I think it's Jeffrey Gary that did not play very well in the first game and went off in the second game. And to me, it seems like you could let Dimitrievich, for Western at least, you could let Dimitrievich do what he wants. What does everybody else do? And so I think for Western, it's can they contain Stare or Gary or not let one of the, the, the two seven-footers give them a problem. And I think for Western Carolina, they just got to finish. I think they've got a couple of games down the stretch. They've not been able to, you know, whether it's turnover, whether it's been free throws, whether it's been whatever, but they've not been able – to sort of finish games. Can Western Carolina finish? Now, the advantage for Western Carolina, they have zero home court advantage in Cullowood. They do have a nice home court advantage in Asheville. The Purple Thunder, not just the band, but the Purple Thunder fans that come out in droves to Asheville to watch the conference tournament, there's a different energy level for the Catamounts. And I think that'll be interesting to see what that crowd looks like. And Mercer in the past been able to, to bust up some students and get some things going, but I think it'll be a distinct home court advantage for Western. I've got rapid-fire questions for you after we just touch on Furman quick. We're obviously waiting with ETSU to see who will win the first-round game and then go on to face them, Wofford versus Citadel, the game that Furman's waiting on. They beat, and I'm just going to kind of compare actually UNCG and Furman while we talk about this. Furman beat UNCG by 14 February 26th, lost by 13 January 11th. Paladins have won nine of their last ten. Their only real bad loss, quote-unquote, was against Wofford on ESPNU. That didn't look like a bad loss at the time, but now you consider what Wofford's done and where they finished. Uh, Their other losses this year, the only others, Alabama, South Florida, and that might be a bad loss considering their 7-11 record, but that's also in the AAC, which I believe is right now seventh in the country in conference RPI. Auburn, UNCG, ETSU, 
Uh, and a potential quarterfinal opponent, of course, is Wofford. So that's, I think, the only thing that would worry you with that bad loss and the fact that you did lose to the seven seed is you could face him again. Outside of Noah Gurley in that game, the team went 13-42 from the forward, minus 10 in the paint, minus 9 points off turnovers. Hoover was plus 8 on mounts, and that's something you cannot have happen, I don't think, if you are the Paladins. UNCG has bad losses to Montana State. Of course, that was a half-court heave. Uh, a double overtime loss to Wofford. Double overtime, though. Again, and, early in the season, too. And early in the conference season. And then Chattanooga this last game, which was a two-point loss. Uh, Furman has been the better defensive team in league play, shockingly. They're leading the conference uh, in terms of uh, opponents' field goal percentage during league play. I never thought I would say that Furman was a better defensive team in terms of statistics than UNCG, but that has been the case. And then Mike Bothwell and Noah Gurley certainly have raised their games this year significantly. I'd say only for UNCG. Caleb Hunter is the only impact player that has made huge strides. Now, you could say... Angelo Allegri, I don't really view him as an impact player. He's certainly better than he was last year, but not necessarily an impact player. Who do you think is the greatest contender to the throne of those two? And I'll just go ahead and tell you right now, after diving deeper into it, despite the fact that I just said, well, yeah, UNCG has three bad losses, but they're all on unbelievable circumstances. I actually think that Furman is the much more prepared team to try and take down ETSU. I I think the one thing when you get in tournament games – a lot of the whistles tend to go away. And it becomes, as I've said before, it becomes a man's game. And who's going to play, who's going to defend, who's going to play through contact, who's going to do. Half-court defense, Furman plays about as good as ETSU defensively, I think. I think they do a good job of disrupting. Um, they're not, I don't think, uh, now they can be at times as physical as ETSU, but I think ETSU should be more physical. For UNCG, it's a different style of defense. But again, they tend to, not blow as many whistles so a lot of the fouls that are called on uncg that a lot of their fans early in the season consider cheapies will that be called in the tournament because if those fouls are allowed to go not the fouls down inside the paint where it can be a bloodbath but some of the guards on the wings and they're able to force a few extra turnovers that way without whistles and with isaiah miller at the top getting him the ball he's going to run by everybody you know how are people Going So free throw shooting becomes even more of a premium because there's going to be not that many attempts, in my opinion. You get in a conference tournament. Bad for UNCG. I, I, and that's, that's sort of where I'm leaning with that is because I think free throw shooting is going to be a little bit of a key. If you get somebody in foul trouble, you know, I, I think that could change some things. I think Furman has a few guys coming off the bench that I like. Not to say UNCG doesn't have anybody come off the bench I like, but I think Furman has a few extra pieces off the bench that I like better than UNCG. Again, I think we're splitting hairs. I think they're two and three for a reason. I think they've split. They've won on each other's home floor. By similar margins. Um, and, you know, and I think if they play again, uh, if Chalk held up, then I, I think they would have a little bit of blood. But I'll tell you where I do think there is one advantage. If UNCG not only just lost to Chattanooga, but if they get by them, Furman's going to play their arch rival and maybe expend a lot of extra energy there. And Wofford doesn't mind mucking it up and playing defense uh kind of half court man doing doing some things that maybe you can't get away in the regular season so you could see a little bit more extra energy uh spent from Furman trying to beat their arch rival where obviously UNCG is trying to beat Chat 
there's just not that level of hate as there is in a Furman-Wofford matchup. Follow-up, do you think that Furman or UNCG have the extra gear to go to now knowing with how UNCG ended the year and just looking at Furman's resume overall that this is probably it? There's not that at-large chance for them. Yeah, I, I think I I think if you're pretty realistic for either one of those teams uh, and Furman's ahead now in all the rankings, I think you have to know you got to win it all. So do you have the extra gear to go to if you're either of those teams? Or from what you I, see, is that what you get? I, I, well, you know, I, I don't know. It's a good question because I, I don't know. Um, with their back up against the wall, you know, last year, UNCG knew it, right? They knew they had to be – but Wofford was – on a different, no offense to our team, but Wofford was on a different level last year, uh, especially in the league play. I mean, they they were rolling through. They won a few tight games here and there, but they, they sort of rolled through the competition, and UNCG had an opportunity before. So I, I don't know. I don't – do they – can they? Sure. Will they? I, I'm not positive. I've looked across the league, and I cannot find a lot of major injuries that are going to impact this tournament. Of course, early in the season, Cam Gibson from Western Carolina. Ross Cummings hasn't played in forever. Um, Ross only played in five games, so I right. think you can discount that. Hayden Brown also hasn't played in forever for right. Citadel, and that's obviously the team that you would not expect to win a game. Really, it looked like – and correct me if I'm wrong, you're more plugged into it than I am on the men's side, but it seems that the only player that – could come back or is back in this case already that could change the tournament a bit is Jerome Rodriguez. And will, would it really be changing the tournament considering ETSU is already a semi-heavy favorite? I, I think he's the best player to come back. Now, UNCG was decimated with injuries early, but all their, They're back now except for yeah, Kobe Langley. Right, and, Col- and Kobe Langley came off the bench, but Kyron right. Galloway back, Caleb Hunter's back. So I, I think Rodriguez is... Um, the biggest piece to come back on the roster as he tries to figure it out. And again, I mentioned today, I think he made one of the plays, if not, you know, at the time it was the play of the game. Now, certainly things changed as, as the last couple of minutes shook out, but him smart enough to throw the ball down the floor as opposed to underneath his basket, where we saw just the game at Wofford where Trey Boyd threw it underneath his own hoop. Wofford got the ball and scored. We saw him throw it down, plus the extra body in a three day foul trouble teams that want to go big mercer you know rodriguez hasn't played against them yet be interesting to see if it's mercer he played sparingly uh the other night against western carolina i don't he didn't play against sanford or vmi so we would see you know maybe how that matchup goes he played none against uncg right and they played we played Furman's where he got hurt right the, the first game so uh i to me yes uh rodriguez is the most crucial piece back that somebody gets for the tournament rapid fire which team is the most susceptible to an upset of the top three etsu Furman or uncg uh, Furman, and, and i would say that if uncg was the two seed because playing wofford at the seven and in a one-game scenario where one team's been allowed to play the day before and sort of get its shooting legs underneath it I think whoever the two seed was, I think we, we, I might even have said that during the broadcast the other day, uh, going into the final game. I think pregame, uh, I was, I don't know what pregame was halftime. I was talking about that, but I think the two seed as a disadvantage in this case happened to be Furman. But even if UNCG was in the two seed, I would say it's UNCG playing Wofford after a day they've been allowed to shoot in the building and get sort of going and try to carry the momentum. We've seen it before in this tournament where a team got hot the first day, carried it for a win. They didn't go on, obviously didn't go on to win the tournament, but they were able to knock off a higher seed. Matter of fact, Chattanooga 
was a one seed under Will Wade, and I can't remember which team it was, but the eight seed got, I mean, just smoking hot the day before, rode that to the upset. Who is the player that can flip this tournament on its head? The player that could flip it on its head and lose their mind. That's a good one. Um, Dimitri Ivich came to mind first for me. Uh, certainly. I mean, he could throw 35 on the board on 10 shots or something crazy. Especially how hot Mercer's been. If they can get him hot for a three- or four-day period, you almost never know. Uh, same token, if he could if he could get – he's had two good games against Western. He had a third game where he scored 25 or more. He's already got sort of that going – uh, again, you can see guys catch a little mojo in this tournament. The other side of it is Stager for Western Carolina. I mean, he's been really good lately, too. So that's two in one matchup. I mean, Faulkner's a walking triple-double on an occasion, too. I mean, the the way he plays on the, you know, the bottom half of the bracket. On, and, you know, I'm not particularly Matt Ryan fan, but you could convince me that Matt Ryan, because, of, again, playing a little physical, being able to shoot the three, be able to go inside – I think Matt Ryan could, could be a little bit could of a Could Nathan problem. Hoover have the extremely rare 13-for-17 game where he scores 35? You know, again, he has one of those every month or so. Could it be in a big upset scenario? I mean, Jordan Lyons, a guy could get hot for three days. Right. There's another, I mean, so there's a lot. There uh, are. I mean, if you want me to narrow it down, I, I, I don't uh, – it'd be Lyon or Dimitrievich would, would be the, the two that definitely – Faulkner would be my third. If I had to pick top three, those would be my three guys that could just lose their mind and put up ungodly numbers. Finally, what team will be least competitive in the top seven? Least competitive in the top seven? Or will every game be close? I don't foresee. Certainly there will be an, a, not an upset or two, but a decimation or two. I mean, it always seems to pan out where there's a double-digit win here or there. Sometimes those are skewed in conference tournament for the simple reason nobody wants their season to end. So there's a lot of me- – like in a regular season game, if you're down seven with six seconds to go, people aren't going to foul. When you get in a tournament, it's the last game you're ever going to play in your life for some guys. Sometimes they keep fouling. And I don't know why the Keep Hope Alive is there, but there are times that you've seen a six-point regular season win, just dribble it out, let's move on has turned into a 12-point win for no particular reason. And so I could see some double digits that way. It always happens that somebody's just going to have a lights-out day and go double digits on you, but I'm not. You I'm, don't think any team lays an egg, though? Do I? Well, I, is it possible? Yes. You want me to predict which team's going to lay an egg? I, I can't. I, I can't. You don't know I'll which of the seven. I do not. I do not because, I mean, the only thing I could see is maybe if, Chattanooga had a bad shooting day, and UNCG has just figured they took a week off, went and found themselves, and came back just spitting fire. I could see that being a double-digit game. I think Mercer and Western will be a dogfight. I think if 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 Citadel magically beats Wofford, then I think Furman would, would be a 20-25 point victory over Citadel. But if it's Wofford, I think that's going to be a dogfight down to the wire. You know, maybe you're having to talk yourself into it here. Well, like, but it's again, not anything that comes to mind. I, I right know, away. but because VMI and Sanford's not in the top seven, so so I can't even cop out. That's and go, the brilliance go, go straight of the question. Home. I know it is good. <laughs> I don't. I I think possibly possibly, Chet. But my feeling is, I think all four quarterfinal games 
or going to be single-digit affairs. We will find out in two segments if Jay or I think there are a couple of upsets coming or just decimations across the board or chalk, or will it be some surprises that is in bold predictions. But first, pros versus Jays, your favorite. All right, step aside for a timeout. Pros versus Jays. After this timeout, your work, Sign up Sidekick, Buccaneers Sports Network. Life is all about perfect pairings. Sweet and salty, naughty and nice, hot and cold. Well, add instant and jackpot to the list because that's what you'll get when you add Quick Cash to your next Tennessee Cash play. Quick Cash is a simple way to turn one game into two. With Quick Cash, you'll have a chance to win up to $500 instantly right there at the register. Plus, you'll still have a chance to win the Tennessee Cash drawing later. Get the best of both worlds and get twice the fun. It's Quick Cash with Tennessee Cash, only from the Tennessee Lottery. Game-changing fun. Please play responsibly. Pros. Buckle up for Kobe Kobe Bryant just sucked the gravity out of the target center. What a play. Anything like that. In the deep left center from Mitchell. And we'll see you tomorrow. High fly ball into right field. She is gone. In a year that has been so improbable, the impossible has happened. Edmonds hit 42 home runs during the regular season. Versus Jays. I need a shower. Well, you can tell this being the longest show that we have ever done already, and still two segments to go, and hopefully the longest show that there ever will be. I don't plan on doing one totally that is of this length again, but it really is. But that we may time take here. a week off, so there you exactly. go. Exactly. We're get, trying to give you two days' worth of content since we're not going to have a show on Friday in one day, so if you get tired, have. Uh, fallen asleep or just have lost complete enthusiasm for the show and the content we don't blame you come back and listen remember there's that bumper at hour number one where you enter hour number two you can split it up that way if you want so on and so forth content is oozing out of our pores at this point and some of my favorite content every week pros versus jays and since this is such a big show and it is at the end of basketball season regular season's wrapped up it is kind of an all-encapsulating affair we previewed the entire Southern Conference tournament. We've wrapped the regular season on Monday. And so there is just storyline after storyline. And one of the storylines is the team's been so good for ETSU men's basketball. And Jay Sandoz has been so good on the call for ETSU men's basketball this year. Been a good year for you. And in pros versus Jays, if you're just joining us and you have not heard this segment before, we match up Jay Sandoz versus a quote-unquote pro in the business. Call for call, sometimes theme for theme, word for word. There's very many ways that this can dovetail, and usually it dovetails into Jay being very upset about something, yelling at me, and storming out of the room. This week, I took your best calls of the year, what I deem to be your best calls of the year, and I'll be very interested to see, at least in terms of basketball. Of course, you do football too, but in terms of basketball, best calls of the year, I'll be interested to see if you would throw any others in the mix and match them up against someone that I think there was a common theme with, and we're going to find out who that man is. Right now. Crawford again. Oh! Holloway three. Oh, man! 11 to go. Holloway kicks it out. Crawford eight. Crawford's got to hurry. Huh? Oh, no! He tied it! 
This also makes sense because it is March. We teased it at the top of the show. Gus Johnson, one of the great voices of March Madness, more so last decade. Uh, I believe that his partners, and you'll hear from a few more of them, Clark Kellogg, Bill Raftery, a lot of the greats, and people loved him on March Madness because he captured the emotion of the season. So this is very timely as well. Those calls from Gus Johnson, you heard it was just kind of noises and just losing his mind completely. But the theme of those calls were uh, three after three after three. That was Xavier's two Holloway and Jordan Crawford from 2010 against Kansas State for Xavier. That I think was like a double overtime game and just shot making on each end of the court. It was absolutely incredible. And speaking of shot making, some pretty incredible shot making at Freedom Hall on Saturday. And Jay Sandoz was channeling his inner Gus Johnson. Pat Good's not going to have a cleaner look, and he got one. Good. Is he going to pull up for three? Yes, he is. And yes, he did. Yes, he did. And yes, he did. Pat Good wants another three. Pat Good's got another three. Hodges with the basketball down seven. Good will catch. He'll fire. And he hit one over Matt Howerson. Over to Good. Wide open. Another three. And he got another one. He is incredible right now. Tisdale. They're going to go back to Good. They left Good open again. Good. Got another one. Oh, Pat Good. 23. Noises. Good to Tisdale. Back to good. Good. Pull up trigger for a three. He got it with 6.8. Can you top this? So what I like to sometimes do is grade each call. And considering that that was all seven threes from Patrick Good inside the last eight minutes, one of the greatest shooting performances I think that Freedom Hall has ever seen, maybe that this state or region or perhaps all of college basketball has ever seen. We included all of them. Only had three from Gus Johnson on the Xavier Kansas State game. Um, I think there's ups and downs on both. Uh, I think at the point of Pat Good making his last three, you didn't want to go over the top because you just didn't know what was going to happen next. You thought there might be more, and you had to leave another level to raise to, or in the unfortunate case, should Western Carolina have come out on top and had another big shot, deflate to, where Gus Johnson, uh, I think he just marked out completely when he gave the, ah! There wasn't even a call. It wasn't words or anything. Uh, it was, I think, Holloway or Crawford. I think Crawford was the last one that took like a 35-footer from the logo on the right side of the floor, and that's when Gus just lost all capability of speaking English. Uh, both very enthusiastic and fun. How do you rate yourself versus Gus Johnson in this situation before I give you mine? The theme being three-point streaks. I mean, Gus. Great shot making in the clutch. Gus is... Man, Gus has had some of the greatest all time. <laughs> I mean, it's tough. And we both tend to lose our minds. Uh, at some point in time, Gus can just laugh. And we'll get to that. Great. It's great. We'll get to that okay, a okay. later. Oh, yeah. I didn't even know you did that. I have no, oh, idea. Yeah. I have no idea what's going on here. So, uh, I guess it's clearly better. If that's what, is that what we're I, asking? I'm asking you. Yeah. I will say I didn't. In those series of calls. I will say I didn't remember. Uh, until I think David Jackson had sent me a text listing second half highlights about he enjoyed the yes he did and yes he did call. I was confused by that. I, I had did not to, understand that. I had to go back and listen to it. Yeah. Yes he. Because well, Yes he will. I, yes he did. Yes he did and yes he did and I was confused. Right. There you go. I didn't get. It. I, I don't know. I, okay. I think I said <laughs> because I was predicting him pulling up was yeah. the first. Yes he will. Yep. And then it went in, so it was yes, he did. Yeah. So then it was yes, he did pull up, and yes, he did hit it, I guess. I don't know. Oh, okay. I don't really remember. I, I mean, to be honest, I don't I, – to show you how much I, I didn't remember it was David Jackson sent me the text I thought it was very odd. I didn't know what he was talking about. And then once the second half highlights, you know, we email them out and all that, I went back and listened to it. I don't even remember. And 
sort of my I think some of my calls I know people that write down calls or try to Lame. do all that. I Boo. maybe early in my career I may have tried it, but I gave it up a long time ago because I just uh, just in the moment whatever happens what happens. And sometimes the calls stick and they're good. I've heard some of my calls that yeah. At the end, I'm like, ah, I didn't do that. Justice. I think the three straight yes he dids were throwing me, but now that I'm thinking about it the way you explained it, yes he did. Well done. Yeah. So I say about eights for each of them. I, I thought they were both very good. Uh, Gus lost me a little bit with just the noises, uh, but I think that uh, specifically your enthusiasm on the second to last three, absolutely spectacular. Uh, very, very solid. Here's more Gus. Let me tell you once again, comes down to fundamentals. Oh, my goodness, Sorrenti. Hit that one from the parking lot. And Vermont has a 59-55 lead. One of my favorite NCAA tournament games of all time. That was Vermont versus Syracuse from 2005. TJ Sorrentine, speaking of just long, unbelievable, from another planet type threes. Uh, he was darn near on the logo at half court. And just a rainbow that ripped the cords as you could hear. And a solid call from Gus Johnson that made him invoke a little bit of hyperbole. And speaking of hyperbole, you've been known to have some of that yourself. And now he's out of the game. Wesley Miller's out of the game. I don't understand. What are you doing? That's the worst decision in the history of basketball. It's a great point, by the way. In the history. Your best hyperbolic call of the year, the hyperbole <laughs> on Wes Miller getting ejected, UNCG ETSU, back in the first portion of the conference season. So hyperbole from Gus, hyperbole from you. Different situations, though I feel the hyperbolicness, as we will state it, really held up against each other. And the, I guess the other part, a lot of people are like, why are you complaining that he's doing it? I said, just as a pure fan in general, like of, of sports and everything, that's really what came out. I should be saying thank you, <laughs> right? I mean, should, I mean, if you were the pure homer, uh, which, again, I am a homer. Let's get that out of here. But, like, if you're purely just doing that, like you 100% should just be like, doesn't really matter. Thank you very much, uh, Wes, for whatever you just did that cost your team a chance. But I think just in general, it's sort of like the – the the he didn't know call. I don't know if you have it. He didn't know. So, I don't have it in there, but Okay, no. so Josh Williams was a freshman for Lipscomb. ETSU got a rebound. It was actually, I think AJ Merriweather's AJ Merriweather's freshman year. And got a rebound. Josh Williams for Lipscomb thought they were down. But he didn't know. He didn't know. And he fouled with one point seven, ninety feet away from the hoop. And I mean like a grab around the waist foul that a referee couldn't be like, uh son, your Todd will let it go. Like, he had to call the foul. But, Jay, you can't blame him because he didn't know. He didn't know. And then I just screamed, like, 17 times. He didn't know. I think a couple of sevens. Uh, parking lot's a bit overused for me. It is far away. I, I like it, but, uh, you know, seven. Um, I've used when, – when we were in the Dome one time, I, I said he shot from – um, uh, I can't remember where I said he shot from Kingsport because the way the dome was facing. So. Sure. Instead of parking lot. I right. did something a little different. A little different. It's but nice to tweak it uh, and make it local and those type of things. Parking lots. But, again, I mean, you're trying to appeal to a mass audience, so I get parking lot. Uh, for you, I did just enjoy how you were almost, from a human perspective, pleading with Wes Miller just to be, Wes, don't do it this way. Not this way, Wes. Not this way. You know, that's kind of what the deal was. So I did enjoy that. Uh, I think you're on par with Gus there. And we march on. Morrison, six, fires, go! Oh, get a three! Oh! 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 
Absolutely one of my favorite ridiculous calls of all time. That was, of course, Adam Morrison. Of and course. You, you, you knew think, what that was? Just listen well, to Well, Morrison, and you remember all of the hype and the big-time calls that, for Gus especially, were centered around Adam Morrison during his time. Of course, a giant bust in the NBA. Was that Oklahoma State? With Gonzaga. That was Oklahoma State, State in December. So that just tells you that <laughs> Gus Johnson cannot <laughs> turn it off 365 days a year. And in a leap year like this one, 366, he freaks out. Adam Morrison banking in a three over two guys against Oklahoma State in Washington. December 10th, not even like close to Christmas. He wasn't feeling the spirit of the season. It was 15 days before the major holiday in 2005. Uh absolutely outrageous and just noises you could hear the two announcers shouting over each other and speaking of shouting over each other you do not have a broadcast partner when you do basketball but there's a man that does like to let out a scream or two when he throws one down murphy with it it's still up by one bigelow's the bucks keep blowing opportunities there's a ball stolen gusaw all the way to the hoop a two-handed slam oh no gusaw rips the pocket and goes 50 feet for a two-handed slam and the people across the way have lost their minds. I thought a brilliant call. One of my favorites from the couple of years that I've been here from you because your sheer, utter shock that you communicated on behalf of the fan and even the team and the coaches and everybody watching, a man of the size of Lucas Goussaint taking a ball about half court and going all the way to the other, winning the race to the basket, throwing one down, and then letting out that primal scream that's because we have rim mics at most places now in the Southern Conference, you're able to hear and really adds a dimension to the game. Uh, the screaming and the noises, your voice cracked a little bit. I didn't want to do Sean McDonough. I wanted to keep it on Gus Johnson. His voice obviously cracked a lot during the Adam Morrison call as he and I think it was Raftery were yelling over each other. So there's a couple of commonalities there between these two calls, both, I thought, exceptional. I think the call for me on the Gasson, the difference – for me was I could have predicted if you said write down the top 1,000 plays that could have happened in the game. <laughs> I would have written... Let alone at that time of the game, right? It, I mean, a huge play. It, yes, but any 1,000 plays, I would have never written, well, just on the other side of half court, Gusan's going to steal it, literally take three steps and do a one-footed slam dunk. Dribble, dribbling the whole time. Not knock it away, run down, they throw him the ball, he catches it. But Rip it, go down, slam it, energy level, all that. I would have predicted anything else. So that was just the pure, I, I am not believing what is about to happen. Lose my mind there. And those are some of my better call. People have asked, where's that rank? I said, well, considering, you know, if Trey Boyd hits a game winner, Courtney Pegram hits a game winner, Tim Smith hits a game winner, Keith Jennings hits a game winner, I 100% see it all the time. If Joe Hughley hits a three-quarter quarter court to hit a game winner, that's unusual. I'm going to lose my mind more than I would for the other guys because it's something you just don't see or anybody else in that matter. But, like, if a player does something that I think they can do, I think I lose my mind, but I don't go to the weird high-pitch prepubescent yell that happened there. I think when something happens that I'm not expecting or don't see or something doesn't happen often, then I think sometimes that's where – the broadcast voice goes away and 13 year old Jay comes screaming out. I thought both nines, I mean, up there on the scale, I, both very, very I good. I tried to hit Gus level there because that was solid by Gus. Well, Gus, I mean, Have I don't know if you can reach that anyway. level. Okay. No, well, so we're tied. Mm -hmm. So you had eights on the first themes, seven on the seconds, nine. So now we got to go to just pure, unadulterated jubilation. <laughs> well, that's a classic from Gus. How about Jay Sandoz? <laughs> 
All right, sorry, I got to give it to Gus. Jay Sandoz falls at the hands of Gus Johnson. So One more time. <laughs> but Gus Johnson, just from time to time. Young fella. See ya. See, see, see ya, see Jay Sandoz. <laughs> and throwing a third just to make things interesting. Let's get at it. <laughs> ah, Steve Forbes and Gus Johnson, the better laughs in this case. That was the young fella one. That was the Steph Curry. The... <laughs> young fella. He does a lot of those. Uh, uh, ha ha is pretty much his main he thing. He gets Now, we'll say this. Needless the, to say, I don't think this is going advantage. to be your thing. <laughs> The one advantage that Gus has is he can get away with more of that than I can for some reason on TV, and people can see. So now I'm feeling bad about all my calls because <laughs> at least Gus has the what people are watching. I don't really have to tell him what goes in. Where I think I'm supposed to tell him what goes in. Now that you're complaining, he gets a ten and you get a four, and yeah, you have been okay. scrubbed by Gus Johnson. Right. There we go. Ouch. Are we bold predicting? We're both predicting. Right after this timeout, Santa Saki, Bucks are now. And now he's out of the game. Wesley Miller's out of the game. Yeah, Wes, you're still out. Bye bye. See ya. An inside look at Buccaneer basketball is back this winter with the ETSU Radio Coaches Show. Monday nights all season long, Steve Forbes and Brittany Azell join Voice of the Bucks Jay Sandoz live from Wild Wing Cafe at 71 Wilson Avenue in downtown Johnson City. It's a six o'clock start as Forbes and Azell field your questions, reflect on results and preview upcoming action. The ETSU Radio Coaches Show, every Wednesday at 6, right here on WXSM AM 640, The Sports Monster. Look, I think it's plain to see Andrew Luck is going to be the top quarterback in football this year. If you don't think Antonio Brown's going to be a model citizen when he finally gets out of Pittsburgh and Oakland and goes to New England and get released by New England and go to online college, you're crazy. The AAF is a juggernaut. It's only a matter of time before it overtakes the NFL. If you're still listening to this podcast, you really think you're crazy. the NFL and Roger Goodell is going to let Josh Gordon back in? No. I mean, it's obvious. No, Fletcher no. McGee is getting drafted, maybe even in the first round. Still can happen. No, 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 no. I've got plenty of sources more than you, Mike, in Knoxville. Rick Barnes is no way considering that UCLA Facts. job. You've always been plugged in. Facts. Bold predictions. One hour and 49 minutes in. I'm surprised you're having to me To the do- biggest and best. I mean, why don't you call Gus Johnson and have him do this segment? How about that? <laughs> I just might. I have 17 bold predictions correct. You have 19 on the year, and this may well be the final bold predictions of our entire Santos and the Sidekick Season 2. So I need to make up some ground because time is of the essence. And what did we say? We're doing brackets. Doing brackets. All right. What do you so, got? I'm winning. You get to go first. Sanford VMI, go. I'm going VMI. I am too. Though I will say. Oh, you are? I am. Am I allowed to change something once you say sure, something? Sure, whatever you want to do. I think that game, because I need to make up points, I think that game really could go either way. I think that VMI is probably going to win, but for the sake of me catching up, I'm going to go Sanford. Bold just prediction. Mike two. Gallagher, an 8-9 game could go either way. Go. <laughs> <laughs> Bold prediction. He is on the record. <laughs> uh, that's unfortunate that I phrased it that way. Wofford Citadel? I mean, Wofford. Go ahead. Yeah, Wofford. You need to make up ground. Okay, go ahead. No, I'm going to go Wofford. Okay, so we got the play-ins taken care of. That leaves ETSU versus, in your case, VMI. In my case, Sanford. I don't think it matters for either of us. ETSU. ETSU. Yeah, right. Okay. Mercer versus Western Carolina. 4-5. Dare I say, going to be a tight one. <laughs> Let's get at it. Yeah. I, I'll i go. Even though you're supposed to go first, I'll do this one. I'm going to go 
the Catamounts because of home oh. court advantage and fan base. And I have a feeling you were not. What's your theory? Is your theory that nobody stays in Colorado? They all go to Asheville because the no, no, biggest that, city. The, the largest population of graduates that's exactly live in Asheville. I, that's exactly what I said, and you just said no, no. Yeah. Yeah. They don't live okay. in Colorado. <laughs> That's what they that, live in Asheville. Literally said, said that exact same thing. You know, hey, you just want to jump in and say what hey, I'm saying. Hey, okay, four or five tight. I'm gonna go Mercer. <laughs> go in Mercer. In a blowout in your okay. face. Okay. Uh, Wofford Furman. Boy, do you have the guts? I'm you so, talked it up for weeks. I'm for so weeks and weeks, you've said seven two Wofford. Watch out for him. Boy, I hate this for Furman. But you're a fraud, and you're gonna go Furman, aren't you? Oh, yeah. You're a fraud. I can see it in your eyes. <laughs> oh, boy. That is so funny. Yeah, I wish I wish, I wish it was like the NCAA tournament where you have the 16, like the 11-11 play in, and you'll see which 11 seed wins to see if, like, because that does affect my, if they're going to beat the six. I almost want to see, not because Wofford isn't going to beat Citadel, but I want to know, are they ridiculous from three and then that would give me some courage to go Wofford, but I'm going Furman. First fail. You on that pick. Fraud alert! Fraud alert for weeks and weeks of building up Wofford and now going against them and taking Furman. I'm going to go with Furman because, as I've said previously in the show and a couple of times leading up to today, but especially very ardent about it now, Furman is easily the second-best team in this conference behind ETSU. That leaves us at UNCG in chat. UNCG. Didn't you say that Furman was the most susceptible team because they were playing Wofford in the top three when I asked you that? Now you're going to go with UNCG to be chat? Oh, okay. Well, yeah. so, so you don't think any of them are going to lose? Well, I got oh, Western. Western is a five. Yeah, uh, top okay. three. Top. I've got the top three in Western. Okay. Well, you, I feel like you're trying to make something here that isn't there. Yeah, I probably am. Okay. I've run away with it. I'm going with chat because I think UNCG because I follow my own logic unlike you're, you with Wofford okay. and Furman. I'm going to go with chat. Because I think UNCG just does not have it. They're missing that okay. Francis Alonzo, that big time, you know, just not only a phenomenal shot maker. Isaiah Miller still is that for UNCG, but the by the book, solid fundamental player that can do the spectacular, but probably isn't going to do like the Isaiah Miller spectacular. He's more of just what they're missing, I think, this year. Like we talked about in the chat, UNCG breakdown. They don't have the execution, the effectiveness. They have the athleticism, but they don't have those guys that can play within the system and kill you time and again doing the things that they need to. So that leaves, what, ETSU and Western Carolina for you in the semifinal. ETSU to the final. And ETSU to the final for me against Mercer. And so it's Furman and UNCG for you, which would be a lot of fun. For me, I don't think Furman chat is going to be as much fun for me. Who are you taking? This is big. I, I'm going Furman, but mm. in your in your situation, Chat had two tough, tight games with Furman. Furman by no means ran away with those two. I think they will run away with this one. So uh, to sure, answer sure my question from sure a couple of seconds ago, final to it's answer, a dream matchup. To answer my well for you, yes. To answer my question from a couple of segments ago, I do think there will be a couple of blowouts, and I think this will be one of them. Furman over Chat. So we each have ETSU Furman. Quick Bucks stat: Paladin. sixty-eight times. In the 100-year history of Southern Conference Tournament, because they didn't – I can't find seeds on every single one of these for some reason. 68 times since I can find seeds on a tournament guide, ETS – not ETSU, number one seeds, right, number one seeds had made it to a final out of the 100-year history. 68? 68. Now, again, I could not – You're not good at math, but even but, you know. But 68% I couldn't of the time. find – not every year is accounted for with a seed. 
and not every year is there standing, so I can even go back and find this seed. Mm. From what I can find this seed, and I should have how many years I could find, but 68 times, even even if it's just that, that's still a pretty good percentage. Over two-thirds of the time, even if, even if all 100 were seeded that way. 68 times the number one seed has gone to the title game. 56 times they are winner, winner, chicken dinner. Wow. Bucks go to the NCAA tournament by winning. They don't have to sweat it out. Cowboy up and go play ball. I love it. ETSU. Not going to have to wait in that purgatory. Don't need an at-large and collect win number 30 on the year. 30 and 4 entering the NCAA tournament. And I think in that scenario, I think they're probably a 7 seed, 8 seed. No worse than an 8. They are going to the NCAA tournament. They are your champion. So what do we disagree on? Is it only the two games? Uh, no, you took Samford. I took VMI. I took Western. You took Mercer. And you all right. took Chad. I took so three. So three. Oh, I like it. Okay. So if you get good. all three, you overtake the lead. Oh, that'd be huge. Now, we are going to do two other bowl predictions. Yep. You got two others? Okay. Yep. I'm going with North Carolina over Duke. And the Tar Heels have won three in a row. They're charging hard. If they go to the ACC final. And win out until then, or the in the NCAA tournament. No, no, they're not. You don't think so? Even with a win over Duke on the road, Mm-mm. which is clearly coming up because I'm predicting it. You really don't think so? I don't think so. They would have like 19 wins at that point. They'd be like 19 and 17 in a brutal conference, brutally yeah, tough. I don't, I don't really. I, I don't think they're in. Wow. Okay. Well, doesn't matter really for my bold prediction. Point being, bold prediction: UNC over Duke. They have that just brutal, crushing, soul destroying loss in their mind going into Cameron Indoor Stadium, and they will. Avenge it. UNC, red hot. ETSU will have three different leading scores in three games and three different leading rebounders. Mm, I like that. Okay, you're going with the depth piece. That's good. I like that. I think ETSU scores more in the first half than they do in the second half in every game they play. Which is in not the SoCon the tournament. And okay. let me tell you exactly what it's been. It's been plus 107 in the second half in February for ETSU, minus 10 in the first half. ETSU has outscored opponents in the second half, nine straight games, and 14 of the last 15. ETSU has scored 40 or more in the second half, eight times in nine games, scored 38 in the other. That was against Furman, uh, 42 in the first half. And this calendar year, 11 40 plus point second halves, just two first halves of 40 plus. So All I'm right. going well All against right. the grain. I'm going a, a, a sort of three for one here. OVC, Big South A-Sun, will not have a number one seed win those leagues. OVC, Big South A-Sun? Yep. All you need is one to win. I'm saying none will win. OVC, Big South A-Sun. Number one seed will not win. I like the conferences you've chosen, too, because there's a three-way tie going into last week between, what was it, Austin Peamery State and Belmont. There was a two-way tie there. Liberty almost lost last night. I think it was Jacksonville. Or the eight seed, whoever the eight seed was. They are the one seed. And the Big South, Radford, and who's who's right on their heels? Winthrop's on their heels. Winthrop. Oh boy, that's a good one. I enjoy it. I've enjoyed this nearly two hours with you, Jay Sandoz. Good news is, we'll be over in Asheville. Don't worry about Friday, Monday. I don't know. Good maybe news so, is, maybe not. Nothing else. We'll talk afterwards. That sounds good. Sandoz sidekick. See ya.